Before Pop Drop, here's the warm-up, a live mic outtake or added clip prior to the show. The mics are always live on Sharpshooters. So I'd say for those that like to bet, like might be a good time to go out there and play some money on on Seattle winning the lottery next year or finishing last of the season. Like there. No, I wouldn't go that far. I, just, I think they're gonna be I think they're gonna be competing with San Jose. What is that a hot take? Yeah, that's, that's a hot, hot take? take. You don't I think, think with all the injuries take. that they have that they're and they're brutal, man. They can't buy a dub. The only way they get a W is when they play Carolina who can't stop a fucking buck. Am I wrong? <laughs> No, I think it's a hot take to put them with Seattle. Okay, right? okay. Mark it down. Check the receipt later. Seattle I mean, is definitely bottom five in the league at the end of the year. Sorry, cracking. It's time to hit the ice. Here's your NHL outsiders, Tim Biglow and Warren Smith, with the latest on the NHL's Western Conference Hockey Podcast. The puck drops now. Welcome to Sharpshooters. All right, this is Tim Bigelow, and I'm joined by Warren Smith for another edition of Sharpshooters, where we look at the entire Western Conference of the National Hockey League. By the way, if you're listening to us on your favorite, you know, pod candy that you have, um, whether that's Apple or Spotify, give us a like, leave a comment, help boost up uh, this commercial free new hockey podcast and warren keeps reminding me that i've got to do shout outs for where to follow us um although we're gonna to have to get this set up i'm on twitter it's at the old podcast name at send hockey but it's me tim bigelow um and i do post stuff around um like the episodes and and stuff like that warren's music that you hear off the top of the show he's got a spotify warren what's that it's Warren John Smith music. And that's on it has a com- it has a combination of both that. Yeah, okay. So you you got that and yeah, both servants and after trust. And after trust. But we've got both songs now. We've got a servant song, right? For the clip before the show begins now. We're using yep, yep. a servant song. Boys um, and Kiss, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is a great track. So we we have that stuff um for you. We're both I'm ideally I guess we're both going to try and get up on instagram and basically have some stuff up on uh the uh twitter yeah you have the you have the twitter and i don't and i have the instagram and you don't so now we gotta uh yeah. join the social media world full tilt i guess <laughs> yeah, go be more accessible to the people <laughs> well, that's yeah. so funny it's it's coming up on the horizon but we're still going to talk the hockey talk that we're we're going to do go through all the teams interesting night last night warren first time but It'll be one of two times this year that the NHL has 16 games and all 32 teams played. So kind of neat. Glad they finally did that with some staggered time. So you could actually watch a few different games, which is kind of yeah, very did. cool, man. I was just, my thumb was going crazy, man, on, on the remote flipping back and forth on the NHL ice there. Eh? Center yeah. ice. Like I said, I went from like Winnipeg, St. Louis to watching Edmonton and Minnesota, but I did you know, do, do a pullback and watch the entire third of that game. And, uh, so many games, like almost too many, but I like this. What you said was great though, right? Like you can catch the end of every game, right? Or one that's like the most intense and the most entertaining, you know, when, when everything's on, on the line, you know, you had to catch the end of every game and catch bits and pieces of other games. Obviously. Well, the whole thing about it is I hate listening to intermissions. 
So the fact that I could skip every intermission last night because there was something else to be watching instead of actual live game action. That's you understand I- how ironic that is, right, bro? Because we're doing a podcast talking and giving our opinion on the, on what we're watching, but you don't like to watch the people that are giving the opinion on what we just watched. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, if they do, but sometimes they aren't. Yeah. Like sometimes they just aren't. Sometimes they're doing little fluff pieces and stuff like that. And then most of it's like, you know, they're jamming in, you know, their eight minutes of ads into 17 minutes, you know, before yeah, the this is true. period starts, right? What drives me nuts is when I'm watching, you're watching like a, watching the Jets play or something. And then all of a sudden there's a piece on Austin Matthews in between periods. I'm like, why are we talking about um, how Austin Matthews tied his shoes? I don't yeah. know. And, and it's the same with every market. Like some of them are better than others, but it, it's, it's a lot of Homer takes too, though. That's the whole thing on it too. I even flip which networks are watching the Winnipeg St. Louis game for a couple periods with the home team broadcast. And I switched to the third to hear what St. Louis was saying. And it's just so funny because it's like everybody just watches their own local market. And then as soon as they try to make an opinion about any other team, They've never actually watched them play except against their own team. And how can you get any kind of reference point as to what you're seeing? So if we take that game or, or any other game for that matter, it's like when you've watched, okay, watch LA play Minnesota and or sorry, Minnesota, um, Winnipeg and Arizona at this point, like, to me that there's more value in understanding what LA is like or any three of them are like based on the other t- watching them against other teams. If you're just watching LA games, like you don't know the St. Louis thing was like, and I said this to you early on, I'm like, they get caved in defensively a lot. So I'm not going to pat Winnipeg on the back for doing the exact same thing that I watched Seattle do. I watched Dallas do. I watched Arizona do. That's a, St. Louis is slow, and oh, what's the word I'm looking for? If the goaltender, Jordan Bennington, doesn't stand on his head, it's a lopsided score, and if he does stand on his head, it's a close game, and that's been the right across the board for that team all year. Now, it's not to take away from Winnipeg playing good in that game, but it's also to admit St. Louis is not a playoff team. And so that perspective is kind of so you put a little less stock into it for sure. You always kind of have that angle and I'm kind of the, <laughs> I'm kind of the other way around. I'm always, I'm definitely open about being a, being a homer when it comes to the jets and my teams in general, like some extent, sometimes I try to pull back from it a little bit so you can take that different approach like you do, but, yeah, but you'll, uh, get there. you'll get there as we do more of this stuff. Yeah. That's the thing. Like now I've already found, like we just started this podcast before we used to do the, the Winnipeg Jets podcast, first class podcast a few years back. So I only focused on the Jets. But now because we're focusing on an entire conference and watching every single game, it gives you an appreciation of for certain players and things, little intricate, intricate, I can't fucking say it. Fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All the little, little details what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Details. Yeah. We won't even, I'm not going to say that word on that. More than two syllables. Yeah. Let's just get that. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so much. We got to Google that. Yeah. But uh, you know what I'm saying. So it's like, then when you start watching it, then you, you just like you said, you have an idea what's coming. Almost, it's almost like watching a preview at a movie. You have a better idea of what's what you're what to expect when you play your team. And yeah, you kind of have the expectation. Well, I've seen this. I've seen this movie before. It just happened when they played this team. Yeah. So it's like if you are who you say you are, who I think you are, 
then you should be able to handle it in a certain way. And if you don't, then it's then you're really not showing me much kind of thing. And if they do, you kind of look at it more like they're just doing exactly what I thought they do, like how I'd write it up on the chalkboard. So you don't enjoy the moment as much, I feel like. I kind of just, I try to like in, really enjoy the moment and, and appreciate the good things that are happening. You know, oh, I do. I do, but it's not even from a cheering for either team anymore. It's now after doing the central division, which I almost felt like anybody listening to it, if they had any brains could use it as a pre-scout because I basically was covering the eight teams and who they were playing and you could get trends. You could see stuff that would come out of it. You add another eight teams to it and maybe it won't be as into the details on it, but you're going to have a kind of good frame of reference on where these teams are at. And then you're just rooting for good plays. And I don't care if it's. That's like, cool too. Yeah. I, I, I definitely get that. I'm kind of finding myself doing that more, but at the same time, it's like, I like rooting for a team. I think a lot of people do. It's like, so that perspective of being a fan, it's like automatically the ref makes a call. And if you're listening on the Winnipeg broadcast, that's a terrible fucking call. But if it's on the St. Louis broadcast, you know, it's the opposite perspective. Yeah. So it's like it to be invested and care about the outcome of a game. I feel like gives you a different feeling than when you're just watching it. Like when I'm watching these other games that are happening throughout the week, like uh, Colorado and the Islanders or something like that, right? I'm just enjoying yeah. the up and down, the switching back and forth of who's winning and losing, and it's enjoying the plays that are happening. But I still like having a team that I live and die with a little bit, you know, because there's... Yeah, but then you can take that information. So like last year when Winnipeg's power play was struggling and used, like, if you watch Colorado enough and see the interchange between... McCarr at the point and on the dot where McKinnon is, how they inter-switch and how Rantanen moves around. And I think Kenny Weeb last year was saying Winnipeg was all stuck in their spots. Like Shif- yeah. Shifley was sure. in his spot. You know, Casey so was in his spot. Wheeler. And we talk about getting motion in it. So if you've actually watched Colorado's power play, then you can explain why it's different, Right. Because, and and now there's more motion this year. And why is it different? Well, one, Wheeler's not there and he's not stationary. But the other thing is there's more motion to it, right? So there's more interchanging. But a, gr- a, a great example of a team that does that really well is when you have McCarr, McKinnon, Rantanen, and no offense when Landeskog was healthy and he isn't anymore and he hasn't played for two years, but because him from the bumper spot, you know, he could do a bank in from below the goal line. And because everybody would like leave him alone because they're trying to cover, well, a bunch of other all-stars, but that's another point on it. It's kind of like Edmonton's power play. It's like, are you going to stop dry settle? Cause McDavid's probably going to score or Bouchard's going to wire it from the point or Hyman's going to jam it in that front. Like, it just happens, right? <laughs> what I find okay. interesting is that uh, you just said it, that term bumper, that was not a term like five years ago. Even All of a sudden, it's a catchphrase that everybody used. When I was growing up, he just called it. He was in the he was in the low slot. He was by the hash mark. You know what I mean? And like now it's a it's like so many teams, they use that spot. It's like a, a primary place that they use as part of their power play. Like, it's like set plays that they do. And so many teams do like similar plays using that bumper position, right? From behind the net, pass down low, and then kick it to the slot for the one team, right? Yeah. It's like a quick, it's a quick one touch. You want to move it as quick as possible. 
And so you can catch the goalie, like, uh, not in position, right? And it's like every team does it now. It's a copycat league, right? And and every team kind of, they have these certain positions on the power play now that's that's different than it ever was before, right? And uh, just like with the tips, there's multi-layered tips. Like when we were growing up, you only stood in front of the net, you put your ass, like, right in front of the goalie's face and just try to tip from the top of the crease, right? And now it's like there's multi-layered tips. There's a couple guys in front, and you're trying to tip it from anywhere. You know, it's just it's just a different, uh, and it's commonplace now. So it's like the evolution of the game. Even those point shot passes that are to the side, that side now. Oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You see it all the time. Just redirects like guys not even trying to one tee it. Just just redirect the pass. Not that I have yet, and it's probably too early, but. By the 20 game mark, we'll we'll take a look at the power play percentages and take a look at how teams are doing. Cause this year, especially off the start, there were way there's there was a lot of penalties called in games. And so specialty teams is really being a contributor. So good penalty kill and good power play helping prop up teams in games. Yeah, man. When when I'm looking through all the games now, go through the game stats and everything, it's like you see the difference in in the outcome of the game. If a, a team wins, yeah, if you execute on your special teams, your percentage of winning is substantially higher, um, especially nowadays, right? And block shots. The team that blocks the most shots tends to win the game, I find, more often than not. And turnovers. Those in two stats, play- block shots and turnovers, are just as huge. In the playoffs, I will say that block shot thing. I, I remember one year on the old podcast, I basically like told everybody what the block shots were in the playoff series because – the team that blocked more shots was generally the one that won. <laughs> like it was just that year. That was just, uh, just a huge thing, which is a total truism, but especially this year. Cause they're really, again, trying to call all the infractions on the hands and maybe they should just go back to wood sticks or get better gloves and okay. then, you know, let a little bit of that go, but they don't. That drives me nuts, man. Like when it's not even it, that they don't even slash the hands, but it's kind of near the hand. Like it's not a penalty that hits the stick. That's just playing defense, right? And they, these sticks are like fucking, they break so easily. So they, they snap the stick and it's an automatic penalty. The hand goes up. It's like he gave that a baby tap. Like maybe get a stick that's thicker and stronger, you know? But I think they're getting more like hairline finger fractures because of the composition of the sticks. I don't think even wood sticks would break hands the way that these composite ones do now. I think it's actually the type of sticks used that basically has created more injuries and that they just haven't made better gloves to protect the player's hands. Like yeah, because they all they all like to have those gloves that are loose, right? Like they're they're really small and their their hands almost like fall out of them kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's why there's been more injuries. That's why they wanted to crack down on them because they don't want a star player, you know, breaking a hand and not being able to play for weeks. Um, but at the same time, it's like the equipment basically and the protective equipment for the types of sticks now just never evolved to equal. And that's why I think it happens more. We're going to go through all uh, 16 teams um, and try and touch on each of them as we always do every week here at Sharpshooters. I'm getting used to saying the new show show title name too, Warren, which is good. We start with Vegas. They are undefeated and first team to go uh, defending championship team to go six and oh and oh to start a season now seven oh and oh they had a five three road win in winnipeg five three road win in chicago and a three two home win over philadelphia that was come from behind yesterday 
meaning they took two third period goals to beat a team that is not got the memo to that they're tanking in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is above Man, the they're playing cutter. good. That Philly <laughs> team is gritty. They're tough. But when I when you look up and down the score sheet, you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Who's that guy? You know what I mean? It's, but they're it's, they're doing it. They're grinding, man. I think they reflect their coach Tortorella. He just they have a lot of tough guys that play hard that go into blue paint that are tough to play yeah. against. Yeah, I'm just telling you, it's uh, the removing Kevin Hayes from the room. That's that's that's. <laughs> a... Yeah, he, he's a soft big guy. Eh? Like, you know what? It's just so Michelin weird though. Man. Like, and just, I, I don't even have a word for it. Like, I, you know, I, I got nothing against Kevin Hayes personally, but it's just like Philly was trying to get him out of there, trying to get him out of there for years. They finally got rid of him this summer. And yeah, all of a sudden this team that they're actively trying not to win and Torts is having none of it. And he's got all these kids like they're three. They, they lost by one goal game in like in Vegas against the defending champs who haven't lost yet. Like that's crazy how good they're playing. And I don't Dude, know. I find can... myself flipping to Philly games on purpose. Like, so is this, is this crazy? And this is, this is when like Alex Martinez did return. Zach Whitecloud still hasn't played a game. And Alex Petrangelo has been out of the lineup all this, like after a couple games, like they've they've got like half their, you know, or two thirds of their decor, and we talked about that last podcast. And yet they're still finding ways to win. And um, I actually think you know Logan Thompson's kind of like going to try and steal back the crease from Aiden Hill, but neither of them's lost a game, so I don't know. <laughs> you take that on that, right? Yeah, it's hard to complain too much when you haven't lost a game yet. <laughs> Yeah, I think they've gone four and three. Like they're almost doing uh, split duty right now in the, in that. So good on Vegas, and I mean, like double digits on the goal differential plus fifteen right now. That's a stat, and I know people, you know, when they talk about stats, but that goal differential, it's very rare a team has a minus goal differential and ends up being a playoff team. So that uh, plus fifteen right now on the goal differential for well, it's almost double of uh the next closest team in the pacific division that we'll get to going you know what on. they're not having man is they're not having a stanley cup hangover yeah. this guy right here said stanley cup hangover it's such a, it's a commonplace thing man but they they went on the out on the road first did they not they had a few games on the road or am i wrong on that um, i thought no they would have raised the banner opening night they play at home like but then they uh, went out on the road i think then they went out on the road and they had yeah. a, it's one of those things though i wonder they had a weaker schedule to start Okay, yeah, they so did. I feel like there's a level of okay. So if you're gonna make mistakes because it's the start of the season and you maybe you do have this slight hangover, you're playing teams that don't capitalize on miss on opportunities that are given to them, so they're allowed that little bit more flex. I uh, like yeah. I don't know that could be part of the situation, and then they just found their groove right away, and you get that load of confidence. You know, yeah, like the the toughest games they had so far, I think, were Dallas and Winnipeg, and they found ways to win. Um, both those games, but other than that, it's a pretty light schedule um, for them so far. Um, some stuff at the, goal, the, like, at the end of the day, seven O's and seven O's, though, you know. Yeah, they're still winning. Like, and you got to win those games. You can't take for granted. You know, we've seen that already um, with the win Chicago got. Not to go reverse the first and back, but like when Chicago won a couple of games, that's the other teams basically thinking they that's already in the bag. And you can't do that in the NHL 
on any team. Like that's legitimately what you can't do. But we'll see. Like they're gonna they're gonna have some more challenges ahead over the season. Well, let's not forget they're missing Pat Petrolangelo, one of the best defensemen in the league. Yeah. Right. And that's crazy. And so you know they keep rolling, but they've got the depth. They they've been doing good. Speaking of teams rolling, Colorado with three more wins since we last did a podcast. So they're six zero and zero. They are a plus 16 on the goal differential. So they had a 4 nothing home win versus Chicago. But Dard didn't get a shot in the game, Warren. He didn't register a shot on goal against Colorado. That's crazy because he rips him like Ovechkin usually. So that's kind of crazy. They had their 6-4 home win over Carolina. And remember, I talked about special teams. Three power play goals, one shorthanded goal in that win for Colorado. And then, of course, that crazy game, 7-4 road win over the Isles last night which is just barn burner. What was going on in the aisle? You, you checked a bit of that game out. Eh? What the was island, I have no idea, man. It was, it was back and forth for like just the whole game, man. And it went down to the wire. The score doesn't really indicate how that game was going. There's a couple games where there's uh, some finals that uh, like LA doubling up Arizona, which we'll talk about in a bit, but that was a closer game right up till near to the end. I'll, I'll tell you how that went down, but my goodness. Now here's the thing. We talked about uh, workload and load management. That's the word. There's another word. There you go. You, you hear sports podcasts. We we almost need Kawhi Leonard, bro. That's that was that's where it all started. <laughs> yeah. I was just like San Antonio back in the day was pissed, man. Their fans were like, "Why is he playing like one every three games when he's like borderline MVP?" You know what I mean? I, I don't know. We could just have, we should just have people sponsor the show whenever we say load management and it would get, they get lots of, or make it a drinking game and then they'll just get (laughs) fucking hammered. Yeah, we did. We used to do that on the old first class body keywords. But that's what was that when we did like, we got love for bag, but was that when we did bag was like bag blunders when he said, uh, harem or something? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. That was the drink one. Whenever somebody says harem. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Good old. Yeah. Miss Bayak, though, getting ahead of ourselves. Like, we're gonna wait. We'll we'll we'll, we'll come back to. Oh, hey, so that. in that uh, in that game, you're talking about the Avs game, man. You know what's yeah. crazy is that O'Connor got a uh, shorthanded goal in three straight games. Like, that's yeah. pretty nuts. So, and we talked about that. Like, I talked about that last year, but you weren't doing the podcast with me about how you know they're like they were so depleted last year, like Logan O'Connor and. Cogliano for like games were like the second line instead of the fourth line. So the effectiveness of of O'Connor being able to do the penalty killing, which he's done for a number of years now, he's just one of those guys that really is a fourth liner that really can shine shorthanded um, because he can, you know, make the plays and he's got good timing on it. Um, but if he's playing too many five on five minutes, it's like his effectiveness as a penalty killer goes down. Right now they're healthy, and you know he's got three straight games with a shorthanded goal. I'm not surprised because within the right you know usage, he's really good as a penalty killer. So I, I'm 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 not surprised. Um, he's been doing that for a number of years. I think last year down year because he had to play up and down the lineup. Like he like go to the rink and be like, oh, am I going to play? You know. 10 and a half minutes on the fourth line or am I playing 17 minutes on the second line tonight? Like for sure. The, the abs were decimated the last year, man, for a long period of time. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, I just look at Logan O'Connor and if he's situated in a bottom six role and getting to do that penalty killing minutes, then that's his like wheelhouse for that team and provide secondary scoring and yeah, shorthand goals, I guess, in that game against the Isles too. So, um, but that power play is, is something to behold, even with Landeskog hurt. It's just really good. Um, again, like we talked about that before we started going through the teams here. So they remain undefeated. The other team that was expected to be near the top of the conference is was Dallas. Actually, that's who I picked to win the conference. You pick Colorado. You're looking good. Oh, one more thing, Warren. We're both looking good so far. (laughs) Well, on the Central Division anyways. But, I mean, everybody had one or two Colorado-Dallas. I mean, they really were set up to be as long as Colorado stays healthy and as long as, you know, Dallas has the consistency with with their players. But I was going to say one more thing. Unlike Vegas, Colorado has had Gorgiev play all six games so far. And that's when I was bringing up the load management. I don't know how long this can go. I thought he played too many games last year. That's why they lost to Seattle. And that's the one thing I don't like about this, even though they're 6-0-0. I don't like that Gorgiev has had to play every game. He's not playing 82, and he shouldn't play more than 50. And they're going to regret that. And I, I don't know. I don't know unless they basically. Dude, I, play. I think our, our Colorado viewers are not like too uh, butthurt about and worrying about anything when their team's undefeated so far. I hear what you're saying, but Matt Gorgiev has been playing unbelievable as well, right? Like he's been playing pretty sick. His numbers last year during the regular season were great, but then you lose to Seattle in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I think you need a you need to come into this year and say, let's manage the load management. Of, they got to throw them in against the junk teams for sure. They got to throw them in against, you know, they play Anaheim or they play uh, Chicago. Chicago. Or, yeah. They won 4-0 against Chicago. Play the backup goalie. See yeah, for sure. Can do. I mean, the team didn't even let Bedard get a shot on goal. Who cares who's in that? They could have a shooter tutor in that. But yeah, we're at game 55 of the season of an 82-game schedule and Gorgiev's played 50. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. So I'm I'm watching it. That's what I want yeah, to see. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Okay, Dallas has played uh, one of the fewest game totals thus far. Um, I don't know. The schedulers just never have this. But they still are undefeated. 4-0-1. That overtime loss is the uh, shootout loss we covered last podcast to Vegas. So they actually, had they won that shootout, they would have got the extra point and Vegas would have, well, they wouldn't have lost in regulation, but they wouldn't be undefeated. Um, still doing really good off of it. Um, they do play both their goalies. Uh, 3-2 win in Anaheim, 5-4 home, overtime win to Philadelphia. Again, Philly, good showing. And then a 4-1 road win over Pittsburgh for Dallas since we last checked in. And not really a lot of news out of there. Um, otherwise, with it, um, we talked about Deshane being in the shootouts. Actually, that might be a thing to keep an eye on, though is that that team basically, you know, goes to shootouts a lot. And they haven't actually over the last couple of years been all that great on their, like, shootout record. Um, but Matty Duchesne at least helping out with that this year. Because What's worth been... noting uh, in that uh, in the Dallas-Philly game, man, is uh, they were outshot 40-25. to 25, So Ottinger stood on his head again. And uh, 
the Flyers got two short-handed goals on one power play. Pretty nuts. And they still overcame that one. That's like classic Dallas, you know? They can be, uh, they can have shit like that happen. How often do you get, you allow two shorthand goals in the game and then manage to find a way to grind it out and get the W? Yeah, it's just that that depth of that team, right? It, it's like, I've been thinking about this more and more and, and we talk about teams that are going into rebuild and, you know, even you've commented, oh, it's nice that Chicago's got a few veteran players in the mix or whatever. If they're with the team originally, I think it's even better. Like, you know what I mean? Like the last sure. go around when the teams had success. But you take a look at teams where you're talking about that mix and and Vegas kind of to a way, but they had to trade to get that in. But they're an expansion team. But they went and got like a barbershop. They got Petro from a cup winner like St. Louis. They brought in, you know, some, you know, prime age players, you know, into the mix. And there are other younger guys that they drafted like Cotter. And you know what? Like those guys that they have held on to are part of that mix. So they've got that mix of or hag on defense is another one of their draft picks, right? So they've got that kind of vets, prime age players, and younger players all in the mix that they that they built that team around. Dallas has that with the, you know, the Bens, the Sagans, but then their prime Pavelski. age players, right? Then Pavelski, absolutely. Sorry that I didn't even mention them. It's like automatic, right? Isn't but, that uh, crazy though? Because that team's so they have so many dynamic players that kind of go under the radar because Pavelski's like a He's a borderline Hall of Famer, man. Like he's, well, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. He's got to be up there, man, right? And yeah. uh, but the, right now, you, like the young guys, young guys always get. They're always like the hot take topics, right? Like the hints and the Robertsons of the world. There, but, but it's that but, balance. It's that balance. So okay, exactly. so take the forwards. You just talked about like Sagan, and then they added Deshane, right? Another veteran. But then they've got their prime age players. So you got the Rope hints as you Radic Fax as a prime age player still. You haven't they've mentioned got, they have Ryan Suter as well, right? Yeah, well, it's veteran. And we could do the same with the defense, right? So deep yep. like but and then you've got the younger players like Robertson's not quite prime age yet, just about to turn it. But then you've got the rookie last year, Wyatt Johnson. Wyatt Johnson. And then Stan Coven's gonna come in. It's a it's a mix of vets prime age players that contribute and younger age players on defense yeah that like Suter, prime age player like haskinen young guy like harley there's a balance of all kind of three groups intermixed and that's what creates a i i think that's what creates a cup winner so that's kind of when you're looking at at teams that are ready to make that jump you kind of want to say okay where's your vet guys Where's your prime age guys and where, and are your rookies also able to in younger, like under 25s, are there two, three, four of them that can contribute that are making like the league minimum because they're on their entry level contract. Like that seems to me the mix. And I think the teams that are, you know, that can do that. Um, that's the teams that are winning. You need to be able to bring them in and know that they're able to play for you right now. Um, they can learn from the veterans and everything, but um, the weight of the world isn't on their shoulders because they have you have so many players that produce, but have been doing yeah. it for a long time. So it can kind of like share that wisdom, pass it down, and then you have that youth enthusiasm, which helps the veterans get even more pumped up. You know, it's like you said, it's the mix of the two. And that's why I said to you at the beginning of the year, I didn't think Jamie Ben was going to kind of regress from last year because I'm like he'll still be out there with Wyatt Johnston. And and Ty Delandria too is another guy that's just 
coming near to uh, that prime age, 25 age group. And he's still, and so there's that energy of that youthfulness, like with the veterans, like it's, it's a good mix. Look, if you ask me right now, if, if I had to pick a GM in the last five years that I like, say I owned a team and I had to get a guy that was going to build my team. Um, I think uh, the GM in Vegas would be one guy, but the other guy is Jim Neal in Dallas. Cause you can, you can sit down and you know, when you depth chart stuff, you need to sit down and you can see what Jim Neal and his head is doing. Okay. I'm going to have this guy. I've got this guy, all these positionals, like this, the way it's set up. And they still Colorado, Colorado, they're, they're Sackick did uh, talent it. from within. They drafted like all these sick players. I, uh, you know what? Car came, Sack- my car came out of a junior league. Didn't even yeah. play college hockey. Didn't play in the CHL. They draft. They were taking a flyer on this kid who could have been a big flop. You're, uh, I can't remember a few years back. The flames, picked a guy that was playing in major junior hockey and he ended up being a complete bust. You know what I'm talking about? No, I can't remember who it was. I can't remember, but he's brutal. There's a lot more stories of that happening than what happened with McCarr, who wins a Norris trophy and is like closest thing to Bobby or our generation has. Yeah. Well, actually, technically, I guess he got to the, one of the point total marks just in this last little time frame before or did like, he basically got to, whatever point total or some total that or had the record for prior um that's an it's crazy but yeah you would you would build your you would build your defense around kale mccarr now most teams would want to be able to do that but at the same time yeah there but there isn't there isn't a kale mccarr in the nhl draft every year (laughs) good luck with that you know yeah there's a lot there's a lot more swing and misses than crushing grand slams you know yeah, but Joe Sackick, Joe Sackick is the one I credit for building that team. I'm interested to see Chris McFarland taking over. It's kind of like, you know, Stevie Eiserman put together Tampa's teams for them to win, but then he moved on and the other GM took over in his place. Um, but, you know, Tampa's not kind of maintained that success. Now, there's cap constraints and all that stuff to it, too. But Colorado, they're in win-now mode. So they basically have gone with this core and they traded like Alex Newhook away. They're not, you're two, three years out. Colorado's like, see you later, you know? And Alex Newhook's probably going to be a 30 goal score for probably three, four seasons, but it's probably not for another three years. Dude, you must have seen that filthy goal by McCarr against the Islanders last game, right? Yeah. Unbelievable, man. <laughs> Backhand, bar down, short side. Just absolutely jaw-dropping. It's so crazy, like, the skill level on that team, though. But you you get that. It's like Rantanen is amazing to watch. and But everybody would always, like, you're always talking about Makar. You're always talking about McKinnon. You know, they always talk about Landeskog. And meanwhile, it's like, you know, Rantanen's putting up 50 goals. And, like, you couldn't put him up for MVP because he's, like, the fourth-best player on the team, third-best player on the team. <laughs> yeah, I know. 50 goal score like you know it's like oh can you can you win mvp no he can't even be the mvp of the team let alone the league i tell you one thing guys that joined their team recently like tatar and uh tatar was a good deal that was that was he a goal uh yeah last game he blocks the shot goes down the ice and then he's on the boards and does like a spinorama back pass across the seam to ratton who just blasts it home to tie the game I was like man that's a sick play dude and he kind of came out of nowhere. Nobody's talking about that deal. 
that move. For most of the summer, they're talking about how Tatar, who's been a 20 goal scorer, like consistently for years, wasn't signed with anyone. And then on a really good cost deal, Colorado added him to the depth. Like it was, it was a really smart move. And they look Johansson too, eh? Johansson's fit in nicely there. They're pretty big on him right now. Like he's kind of flying under the radar. Yeah. And, and he, like, that's the whole thing though. The pressure's off of him now because he had to produce in Nashville because he was one of the high played players right now at half cost. Cause you know, Barry Trotz ate like half the salary retained or something when they moved him over. So instead of like 8 million Johansson that is under pressure to like carry Nashville who has no offense and, you know, put up points, he's a 4 million second line center and, if he finishes eighth in team scoring, everybody will be like, oh, that's good enough. <laughs> like, Very similar to like Maddie Duchesne too. Eh? When he came in, he was like the guy. And then like, everybody in Nashville hated those contracts because they were terrible contracts. Like at $4 million, Ryan Johansson playing second line center or even third line center, that's not too bad on a, on a good team. But if that's a guy that you're depending to put up 25, 30 goals a year and same with Duchesne at 8 million, it's not a good deal, but Dallas is not paying $8 million to Matt Duchesne and Matt Duchesne's lucky to play in Dallas's top nine. Meanwhile, he had to play top line in Nashville. Like it's a big difference. All of a sudden you're coming out the third spot. Oh, and by the way, you're playing with Tyler Sagan, right? Like who in Nashville? That's so crazy. Eh? Those two guys, Johansson and Duchesne were like considered stars, like all-star kind of players that were like the number one player on their team. Or when they were together, they were mm. the one and one and two guys, right? Yeah. And then now they they go on to their respective teams, and it's just like they're just a part of the team of ridiculously good, talented, or like skilled players with wicked resumes, you know. But that's that's your cup contender. Like that's how you should gauge cup contenders. It's like okay, Nashville who probably misses the playoffs. They let two guys that would be in their top six go, and those guys are like secondary pieces on teams that really are ready to like be able to compete to win all you have to do is look at the top line and go o'reilly is your first line center like no offense man love o'reilly yeah he's had a great career but he shouldn't be first line center anywhere in the league right now not not right now in his prime right now no in his prime absolutely i'm i've got time for that you know when you know three years ago when him and perron were line mates that was a great combo but, you know, like they, they moved on from Perron for really no reason other than money. They banked on the, they banked on their kids or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's going to take time. The cupboards are empty in St. Louis. So there isn't players on the, on the horizon, right? When I look at them, I feel like they're kind of leaning on their young guys like Thomas and uh, Kyrie there, like, like Marner Matthews kind of thing. Although they're not on that level. But, yeah, you know what but, I mean? Like they're they're tying their wagon or whatever you say, those young guys, and they didn't have the insulation to yeah. allow them to grow and to become those elite players that they kind of have in them. I feel like they're being forced into those roles a little bit too soon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but the rest of the time they've been drafting, like other than last year, St. Louis is drafting in the late first round, like 25th, 26th, 27th. Nothing, no offense against Jake Neighbors. He's their like best, most recent draft pick other than last year. He's a like 25th overall pick. 
he's probably going to cap out as a third line winger in his prime years. Where's the rest of the top six going? Like that's a, that's a big concern. Okay. We're going to move on to LA. Not that we're, we're apparently we're just going to go everywhere. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll move on to LA. Anze Kopitar, probably one of the best two way centers in the, uh, in the game is now LA's all time game played leader passing Dustin Brown. Who's got a statue outside of the arena in LA as of last Kopitar, year. Kopitar, uh, first ballot hall of famer feed. Yeah, absolutely. Two-time yeah, cup so. winner. He's a captain. And, you know, we'd probably be talking about Anse Kopitar more if not for Patrice Bergeron being in the league over the same time. Because, you know what? If you look at the uh, points that Kopitar's put up um, compared to Bergeron's, he's actually got more points. In my, in, there's an argument to say that Kopitar, you know, like I, I'm not going to take I think, actually think in many of those years, like Kopitar was on the ballot with Bergeron. And he's got more cup wins. Like it's a two to one right now. What about like Drew Cop- Doughty, man? Drew Doughty first, first. Yeah, uh, for, for me, absolutely. I in think fact, so too, man. And he's I, still a beast, man, at his age, man, playing defense. Like, yeah, it's he, like him. He, he's leading the league in minutes. Did you know that? He's like something like 26 minutes. A game. Yeah, he got his health back finally. Like he played some years where he wasn't at full health. But it's like him and Brent Burns. Like you're going to have to like, like basically somebody's going to have to like tie them to like yeah, the man, ground. Burns is the beauty too, man. Yeah, right? To, to to have them like even like to get them off the ice, like you're going to literally have to like tie them to something to basically have them refuse to not go not go and play. Like no, I got all day for Drew Doughty. I think there's from an offensive perspective, from a physicality perspective, from two-way defensive play, like prime age Drew Doughty is probably one of the the best defenseman to play the game. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, does he, he doesn't even have? Does he even have a Norris Trophy? I'm not even sure. I, I don't think that, he has one, man. That's that's crazy. Like you said, like two way game, like the yeah. things he does, big hits. He still throws hip checks. Nobody throws hip checks anymore. And, he's still uh, he's still got such a he's just such a presence too. Like he just is. He's chirpy, man. He's kind of like the Brad Marchand of, of defensemen, like a smaller stat. He's not small, small. He's not small as Marchand, but like he's not a big, big, imposing guy, but he knows how to get under people's skin. You know, like I feel like if he's on your team, you love him. He's like just, he's just one of those dudes. But then if you play against him, you respect him, but he kind of pisses you off a little bit. He's kind of like the only guy to me since like Chris Chelios of his generation that is that complete defenseman. But yeah, with an edge. So and that was another a, guy that played late, a, like late, right? Like played yeah. until his forties, right? Well, yeah, like he basically played in Chicago for years, then went to Detroit and was part of like those cup winning with the Iserman, like on the back end of it. Um, Chelios uh, set himself up with that, like I think he had like a wicked barbecue restaurant or something that all the NHL players go to and shit. And then finally yeah. he retired. I think he, I think it, part of him would still like to be on the air. He's that kind of guy. Yeah, but he's that type of guy, and that's that type of. For whatever reason, and and I don't think Chelios won a bunch of Norris's either, but I don't know. Like that's if you have a piece like that on your defense, like it's kind of like Duncan Keith never won, you know, in Chicago never won the Norris Trophy, but Chicago's not winning those cups that they win without Duncan Keith on the defense. Like it's just sorry, that's not happening. Well, it was and, it was the Keith Sieber combo though, too, kind of like uh, uh, Macar with uh, Devon <laughs> days, right? those two guys and he doesn't get as much credit but yeah Duncan Keith was an absolute beast 
yeah. there's there's stories of him doing like uh like his cardio sessions like his workouts and stuff like ridiculous and that's why he could play like 26 28 minutes a game no problem there was a nice deep pinch in the arizona game by dowdy that leads directly to one of their goals in their uh 6-3 win over arizona last night or the night before i guess when you're listening to this and then also la prior to that had a 7-3 road win in minnesota but then in between those games had a 4-2 home loss to boston just to get up to speed on where la is they're technically third in the pacific seven points uh one point behind vancouver who we're not going to talk about yet in the podcast but la's in that top three and we expected to be in that spot we're just kind of figuring out the rest of this pacific division which by the way we are gonna like basically call out everybody else when there's not five teams from the pacific divisions in the playoffs just including last night's game warren before we move on to talk about minnesota only la vancouver and vegas undefeated are above 500 point percentage in the pacific division this early on i know it's early in the season but still when compared with the central that's not supposed to be as good has all but two teams at a 500 point percentage or better and nashville they're only below it by a game so colorado dallas minnesota winnipeg arizona st louis 500 and better in point percentage (laughs) yeah the weaker division though right weaker division and only three teams are coming out of the out of the central and five teams were coming out of pacific said everybody but us i still think it's a four and four flip although Tim's just 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 bruising himself patting himself on the back patting us both <laughs> <laughs> well i am it is old. true you know facts don't care about your feelings if you was yeah. to check the receipts everybody, right everybody everybody across the board all five teams are coming out of the pacific this year central division so weak yeah look at the standings right now already and this is going to hold I really think that, that that group of teams that we're talking about, and, and Nashville probably does hover just below 500 when the when everything's all said and done, but there's going to be at least half the teams under 500 in the Pacific when it's all said and done, minimally. Before we, uh, before we move forward, man, I just want to touch on that Bruins-Kings game. A little shout-out to the, the fight, the tilt between England and Fredericks. Did you see that? It was a no, bang, not. like back and forth, like just old school, just throwing haymakers back and forth. So if anybody hasn't seen it, check it out for sure. There's a squeaker goal by Marchand on Talbot. Remember I was saying I'm not sold on Talbot as the yeah. guy? Like it, there's that goal was fucking terrible. Yeah, I'm not sold on Copley even as an NHL backup right now. I did not. We'll talk about that. Actually, we should talk about, maybe we'll talk about it in the Arizona section. But I didn't think Copley played all that great last night in that 6-3 win. I, I don't know about that. Like that division's deep goaltending is atrocious, but I mean the Kings. I hate to give them props; it's kind of hard. It's definitely like a homer take because, like, I'm not happy with the blah and the whole situation that went down. But like the Kings do look good; they're solid; they're deep. Yeah, just the goaltending is a question mark. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what it is. Maybe the bottom pairing D, but other than that, yeah, no, they're they're going to be a playoff team. That's I think I think that's accurate. Yeah. So one more thing when we move on from. LA that 6-3 win over Arizona it was um a two goal game I think 5-3 in the third Arizona looked to make it a one goal game with um 
you know, a f- definitely a few minutes left on the clock, but uh, LA challenged for offside on the uh, Arizona power play and took uh, Barrett Heaton's first off the year um, off the board and then ended up getting the uh, empty netter to basically make that the 6-3 final that you see. So a lot closer game, uh, good game uh, between the teams. However, LA, yeah, looking sharp um, thus far. Move on to Minnesota. They had that, of course, 7-3 home loss to L.A. And actually, Dubois had a couple of goals in the last minute of the first period. That yeah, kind of helped to L.A. Back. pull away. Yeah, back-to-back goals. Minnesota followed that up with uh, getting a point in a 5-4 home overtime loss to Columbus. So, yeah, Minnesota ended up just getting a point out of that. And then the 7-4 home win over Edmonton which I did catch that last night, third period. Wait, um, man, now we got to make one note from that game, eh? that Blue Jackets Wild game. Uh, Fentilli, man, got his first goal. Six yeah, that's shot, true. Right? First, first yeah. of his career, so that's worth knowing. And um, after the game, if people didn't see it, uh, post-game, he was like getting the shaving foam treatment from his teammates, like, like rookie initiation shit. It's pretty funny. You know who's going to be bothered by, you know, Fantilli doing well more than any anybody else? Is going to be Anaheim because yeah, they, if they passed on him, yeah. Hey, yeah. our old buddy, our old, our old buddy Roslo got the game winner, eh? Yeah, yeah, actually he did. Yeah, Roslo he did cut through them the, like butter, Matt. It was nice. I still, you know, I really think, and I don't know what's happened in Columbus, even though that's like that's where he's from. So he went home when he got traded out of Winnipeg, but he hasn't really, he hasn't had like a a player that he's really connected to make a duo with in his time, either in Winnipeg or in Columbus. So is this one of those guys? He might have one year where he just breaks out because he's got a lot of skill, but it just seems like he can't consistently bring it for 82 games. But Columbus has been a mess over the whole time he's been in that organization. Let's be honest. I, I, I don't know what to say. I feel like they're getting better though. Hey, eh? <laughs> We have some nice young pieces. I don't I just don't think they actually have a direction as to what they want that team to be. The opposite of Minnesota, who has a direction of what they want their identity to be, like they absolutely do. And we need to, like, when we talk about Minnesota, and I know it's kind of mixed returns, you got to remember their captain, Jared Spurgeon, has yet to play a game all year. And he's a minute eater, right? There's a guy that's going to do 20 plus. And minutes a game so they've been without him they're still three two and one right now mixed results they brought it on in the third i was telling you before we went we went to record that one of those keys for minnesota in that third period where they just took over against edmonton was edmonton had a lot of power play time so the top line for minnesota hartman uh caprizov and zuccarello they don't kill penalties so that's a kind of big thing where um, they were fresh in the third and they definitely, you know, that led to Hartman's hat trick as far as I'm concerned because they just had the energy in the third. And the other thing we need to remember about Minnesota is they're without Matt Boldy. But you know what? Um, they picked up, uh, what's his name from Tampa Bay? Uh, Patrick Maroon. He's moved up the lineup. And he had a nice uh, assist last night on a goal as well. And so 
they're getting contributions. Erickson X goal. Talk about go back, watch a goal. Erickson X brings it uh, after getting the pass in tight, right in the crease, and then lifts it over um, Edmonton's goalie. This is a really good goal. And you know we'll that talk- you know that the Wild are going to be a playoff or a cup contender, a team to mess with because Patty Maroon. Every team he goes to, they they win a Stanley Cup. It seems right. Yeah, he's, kind of, he's got that Midas touch, if you will. Yeah. So would we keep an eye on them? So they've like you're starting to see teams have to play through you know key injuries now, um, and you got to see how they you know they react to it. But Minnesota's. They haven't impressed, but they're they're not getting blown out of the buildings either, um, for the most part. Now Edmonton is uh, who we're going to go to next, the team that lost to um, Minnesota last night, and again they are without Connor McDavid because the game prior was a three-two home overtime loss to Winnipeg in Edmonton, and they of course McDavid, well really with about when you want to say this seven minutes left in the third five minutes left in the third he was he was on the bench and that was it he you know he wasn't he wasn't coming back out for his shift he injured himself trying to he injured himself trying to interfere with morrissey (laughs) that was funny he like he grabbed at him and then morrissey got the penalty but yeah that's where he tweaked it i mean he didn't he didn't see the ice in uh ot three on three that's where you know i mean if he could go he would go but it's too early in the season to be risking anything with him you know yeah, exactly. And prior to that game in Winnipeg, they had the four-one road loss in Philadelphia, which was, well, you know what? It that aged better given how competitive Philadelphia has been playing against everybody, but it's still not expected at the time. But like we say, you know, um, Philadelphia like only lost by a goal to Vegas, like in Vegas the other night too. So. Maybe Philadelphia is definitely one of those teams you... The Oilers have got to be the worst third-period team so far this year. Like, they don't score in the third period. In the game against the Wild, they got scored outscored 4-1, to one, and then that's not including an empty netter. It's like, you got to be able to make some plays in the third period and not turn over the puck, right? Yeah, and they, because they, they had some issues with that. They had the lead in that game and ended up not winning, although they don't play good against Minnesota generally, like their record. If you were betting on it, you're probably not taking Edmonton and Minnesota because over the years they haven't been very well. It's funny you mention that because I was thinking the same thing, man. Yeah, because Mini always has a big, strong, gritty team, and it's like the Oilers just don't do well against that. So McDavid is out one to two weeks with an upper body injury. Not that we talk much about what's ahead on the schedule, but the uh, Winter Classic is coming up before our next podcast between Calgary and Edmonton which is a big thing. No, sorry, not winter classic, heritage classic. Big thing in Canada. Nobody in the U.S. will watch it, especially if McDavid can't play. However, um, that's going to be a key matchup and and big points for both those teams because neither Edmonton or Calgary are really lighting it up. Edmonton's going to need that win more than, than Calgary, and that's crazy to think that. Yeah, man, <laughs> things are going crazy in Edmonton. Riots are happening on the streets. It's it's getting pretty nuts. <laughs> and and places are being and, burnt down, man. They're they're stressing in Edmonton right now. So so we saw uh, Kane get into a fight in the Winnipeg game. Get into a fight in the Minnesota game, trying to basically 
you know, actually, and he did get a, I think he got his first goal of the year in that game too. But unfortunately, Edmonton on the, well, depending on who you are. I mean, I guess if you're a fan of Minnesota, you're happy. Um, you know, um, what else was I going to say? I forgot to mention Alex Goligoski. He's pretty much a third pairing guy uh, or seventh defenseman in Minnesota. He's also out. Forgot to mention that. My goodness. Just missing stuff on the side. Um, we were talking about Fogel before, you know, we went on. He had a good game, and I thought he played pretty good, but they're not really getting – the supporting cast is not doing it. You know, he's, got a, think- he's got a strong first name, though, Warren, right? Not a boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing it for the Warrens, that boy, Fogel. Yeah. He had a pretty that game, goal. there was a lot of crazy bounces, right? Like that goal that Fogel got the first one, it was a shot from the point, banks off a guy, and then goes directly to him in the slot. It was, it was a super weird angle. And then later in the game, there was that weird one where Zuccarello – looked to be kind of uh there was a puck that went to him and he kicked it slash it got lucky oh, that's or, on that purpose. Or, it was or it was amazing that's a either soccer way. move that's on yeah, purpose yeah, that's what they're saying that's right? on purpose that was an intentional pass soccer move absolutely tim loves it. the wild just so he, you know he, he, he loves the wild more than the jets so he's uh, he's gonna go for that oh, all day Prop uh, to Zuccarello. that sounds I'm, like a soccer name man Warren, absolutely. At this point, if I had to give a resume to for years now, Bill yeah. Guerin or Kevin Chevelday off, Billy Guerin would it would cross his desk first. Yeah, imagine those two scrap, no contest. <laughs> oh yeah, remember Billy um, Guerin f- fights his own teammates. Remember that when he beat the shit out of the guy in his own team that one. Yeah, Billy Billy Guerin's a tough guy, and 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 think of it, Dean Evison's a coach, and like when he played, he was not. You know, and he was a role player, but yeah, he wasn't a guy that, you know, they, and they built that team like that. Like Marcus, that's why they went out and got a guy like Hartman. I feel like they've made a lot of moves in the last couple of years. Like it's important that the guys that they pick up, like buy into like how they play. You got to be tough, right? To play in mini, you have to have a certain edge to your game. Yeah, they want that. Represents Billy Guerin, you know? It is. It is in his image of the type of play. Like he wants you to show up every night and just do your best. And, and it is like, they've got skilled players, but they've also built that team around. Like they went out and got Jake Middleton, like basically had that breakout year in San Jose. Nobody really knew who he was prior. Basically wasn't really a drafted player. Had a one year in San Jose where he basically made Carlson look better because, well, he can, well, Middleton can play in the defensive end. But, you know, last night Middleton was jumping up on a rush, helping create, you know, an opportunity for a goal. You know, actually, that that was another great goal where they did the chip. One of the Minnesota Wild did the chip right in the neutral zone. Middleton jumps up in the play, and then they've got the, you know, the, the goal on that. Like, that was another goal. That might have even been in the first period. Man, there was a lot of great goals. Man, about the goal where Campbell tried to corral the puck, it pops loose. Just horrible, mm. like, rebound control. It was, he, It's like he had it, but then he let it slip off a stick. They put yeah. it in. And then yeah. how about, like, the brutal hat-trick goal? Like, no offense to Wild fans, but just admit it. It was a brutal hat-trick goal. You'll take it, though. But, like, Hartman's where he mishandles the deke, right, and just falls off his stick into the net. It reminded yeah. me of a fucking what's-his-face from the Jets last year. Uh, who had like two goals, an empty netter, and that one goal he got, Coolman. Oh yeah, Coolman's goal. Yeah, it, it reminded me of that. The deke where and then just fell off a stick. He didn't actually do the deke. And it wasn't like, like it, was, it, was, it wasn't an intentional Kucherov or anything like that. But whatever, yeah. you get a hat trick, right? 
Two Hatties yeah. in the game, actually, eh? Or sorry, not two Hatties. Gordy Howe hat trick and then the hat trick. Kane got a Gordy Howe hat trick with the fight. Yeah, game. yeah exactly. Game. Yeah, goal and assist. Yeah. So Edmonton, they've got to they've got to get some points on the board. Um, but yeah, Edmonton right now one four and one three points. So in six games played, sitting seventh right now in the Pacific Division. That's it, and we're still talking about hey, them. Hey, Vegas yeah, odds I, cup winner, man! Right, everybody had the Oilers winning the cup this year. Yeah, you even that's you, why you, you, when you put it on me and you're like, you have to make a pick, man. I know, just make a pick. I'm like, all right, fuck it, I'll go with the Oilers. Yeah, but and I'll they look, will they dinner. will get better. Bouchard's turnover last night was another part of that, right? It's horrendous. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, horrendous. That one I'm not gonna, but. You know what? Like Jake Campbell has to be better, but the team in front of him has to be better. Like that's the whole thing. Like defensively, they've got it. But and I don't mean defense like the actual defense. I mean the forwards need to contribute. You know, like the way they're playing. There's people in Edmonton missing Kaylor Yamamoto right now, and that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you have one dub at this yeah. point in the season. You know, they're so missing we'll... guys like Yamamoto. So Winnipeg, after their uh, divisional win over St. Louis last night, 4-2 to two win, of course, they got the 3-2 overtime win on the road in Edmonton, and they did lose 5-3 to three at home prior to that to the defending and still undefeated champions, Vegas. That's where they're at. That puts them at 3-3 three and, three and right at 500, sitting in fourth spot in the central now. Um, with I'm telling you that that record is misleading. My buddy's a big time Red Wings fan. We weren't exactly chirping, but he was saying like, "Watch out for the Red Wings," and that's kind of aging. That's not looking so good because they lost to the Kraken, right? I mean, there's some bad bounces in that game, but the Red Wings have been super hot. But I mean, if you look at that Vegas game, the Jets were right in it, played extremely hard. A bounce here, a bounce there, a call here, a call there. That game goes differently, and they got goalied a little bit. Thompson played really good that game. And when the Jets played uh, Calgary first game of the year, they got goalie like crazy. Markkinen was unreal. So if you take those two games out, if those are dubs, you're looking at five and one instead of three and three. So they're not going to be a walk in the park for Detroit. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I get that too. Um, and and when I talk about that 4-2 home win over St. Louis, like the ice was tilted. But as I've said, and I don't want to jump ahead on St. Louis, but that's not the first game St. Louis has looked like the ice has been tilted in the early going ons in the season. Um, even though, you know, so I think, yeah, Winnipeg, but then Warren, you Dude, can make that the, first period was but, boring, man. But that was St. Louis, St. Louis blues hockey, man. They were sitting back trapping, like playing that one, three, one. It looked like, but they're not, doing they're not, nothing. they're not sitting back. Teams are playing in the offensive zone on them on the regular and unless their goalie stands on their head, that's the only way the the goal the games are close. You got to do what the Jets did. They they uh, their scouting report was to do what they did in the when they got those two goals, bang bang goals. Was you got to get that like hash mark slot shot instead yeah. of trying to work it work it to the point. St. Louis is fine of keeping you on the outside, taking shots from the outside kind of thing, and you know like you have to get to that interior. Uh, on the blues otherwise like that's why they get outshot every game and they're like they're cool with that so far this season Bennington plays well let the team have more shots from the outside 
you got to get to the interior. It worked out for the Jets. It was like literally talked about it post game, like it was part of the plan when Mason yeah. Hamilton got that snipe. You know, yeah, they exactly. That there's a, there were two goals in the game last night where Winnipeg had that inside, which is a zone. See, St. Louis went from a more man-to-man defensive zone coverage to more of a zone collapsible um, defensive zone structure with the assistant coaches that they brought on this year. That is by design. And they have guys that generally can block shots um, on the forwards from the point. So it is true. If you're cycling down and then getting somebody in between that coverage of that zone, you're going to, you're going to hit pay dirt. And I'm telling you, every team now going to play St. Louis is looking at that tape on those goals to know, okay, this is how we're going to get to it. But if I mean, I'll, I'll give him a break on that first goal because uh, Gus Bus, we got to give props to Gus. First time he scored in three years, gets a goal from a beautiful pass from Perfetti, put it on a platter. But the, he was coming in from a line change, right? So he's coming in late. So maybe you lose coverage if you're the Blues there and you just miss Gus, or maybe you're like, Gus hasn't scored in three years, so I don't really care. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> well, how did you say when, when I was like, well, what if, uh, you know, we keep Harkins and put Gus through waivers? We don't want to lose Gus. And you're like, nobody's taking Gus. <laughs> <laughs> Not, and I like Gus, man. I'm like a homer for Gus. When he plays the Moose, I want him to do well. I, you're just like, what is he doing? He he hasn't scored in years, which he finally did. And he does he all the little he... things well, though, man, right? That's that's why everybody likes yeah. Gus, but you got to score every now and then. You have to score more than once in three years, so good on well, him. And, okay, but so... that's what's crazy is because then they went, okay, that's how you scored. We got to get inside like that. And then, like, the very next shift, I think it was like 30-something seconds later, they and do that's the exact the bang, same play, bang. but on the other side. Yeah. And that's the bang-bang. That's why we and needed there's Dennis a, There's that depth scoring. And then they were bang, all bang. over the Blues for a while, right? They went from, I went from a very boring, the Blues were loving the game in the first period, right? It's like, that's how they want to play. And then the Jets all of a sudden are flying all over the place. And then there was a brutal turnover by the guy, you know, I'm not a big fan of, Nate Schmidt, overpaid, not very good. He makes a terrible decision on the blue line, turns it over. They go the other way. And then I think it was Cairo because Cairo got multiple breakaways and chances. Mm-hmm. Ends up hitting a post or get stoned by Helly. But like, there was it's such a stupid pass because what he did was he passed it on the boards and his forward was standing still, not expecting it because it was a dumb spot to give him the puck. So Schmidt's feet are still, the forward's feet are still, and the only guy that's going going the right way is the is the guy on the Blues. And then he, I think it was Cairo. Maybe go other way. Cairo was stopped twice. Two, could have been two, two one there. You know that could have been a game right there just because of stupidity. And there was a couple other. They got a, bit, a little bit loose and got a little bit having feeling themselves and having a good time. Because all of a sudden it was like the seas parted and they're just doing all these tic-tac-toe plays. And then obviously the Blues made it closer when they scored. When, uh, who was it that got it for them? I'm blanking on it right now. Big boy. Bushnevich scored a goal yeah. on the power Bushnevich, play. Bushnevich, yeah. Yeah, he scored on but the power play. Made it close. I was going to wait till the St. Louis section to mention that. But that's all right. We'll, we'll throw it in there. Um, so, yeah, Winnipeg, Winnipeg 500. And you're right. They, like... I was disappointed in the Calgary and the Vegas games. Winnipeg didn't find a way to at least get a point in those games. So even if they don't win, they should have been in overtime. So they should have been at least one, three, and two. That's where I would put it. So I'd put them worst case. They should have had eight points instead of six at this point. It was Scott O'Neill, the associate coach of the Jets uh, behind the bench because um, Rick Bonus's wife had a medical emergency 
she is back home um, after being in the hospital, but Rick is on a leave of absence until, um, well, um, he's ready to come back. So Scott O'Neill behind the bench. And it did occur to me that I believe the last time Gus got a goal at the NHL level was in the regular season was when Paul Maurice was the coach of the team. So I was like, maybe it's a Rick bonus thing. <laughs> you can't put that on bones, man. Come on. No, I know. I know. And, but you know what? I, and I wish, I wish all the, I wish all the best to bones and his, and his, and his wife and, and her recovery. You want to have that, uh, you know, go well. And, and it's just, that's the type of family guy that Rick bonus is, is that, you know what I mean? Like, he, he goes, you know, to be with his wife, you know, like when they played Ottawa, you know, even in the preseason, his son's now uh, part sure. of the, he's a family the senators. Guy. He first. Yeah. Right. He, you know, his, his son's part of the senators, like uh, management organization, uh, assistant GM or some, some capacity. Yeah. And he's there being granddad, you know, because, you know, he's spending time with the, with the, the granddaughter, while you know the Jets are playing Ottawa in the preseason, basically taking time for family, he's a family first guy. Yeah, so he, bought you his, wanna... he brought his grandson on the ice and went for a little skate with him. Yeah, and so um, like that's that's the type of thing. Oh, is it grandson? I might have had. Yeah. I can't remember, but um, yeah, he's a family first guy. So you know, I yeah, I hope wishing that you all it... the best bones, right? Wishing yeah. you all the best and your wife yeah. too. And and you know what? The same. And there'd be a ton of people, you know, in the Dallas market where he was coached before. But I mean, the guys coached the most games behind a bench, not head coach, but assistant head coach and everything else. He's had the most games behind a bench of anybody in National Hockey League history. So there's a few markets like even Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, they've they had Rick Bonus there behind the bench in some capacity. Ottawa, this second stint in Winnipeg, a um, lot of NHL teams, you know, Dallas um, as well. So um, lots it's of not, people. It's not like he's a Tortorella or something where like, you know, people kind of got weren't very happy with him. He's always been a very approachable, likable, nice guy who, you know, all the teams he coaches love him. They have good things to say about him. The, you know what? He's also had a way to kind of grow with the game too, though, right? Because the way he would have coached back when he coached the Jets the first time around and the way the game is now completely evolved the way that he approaches it too. And he really is like a, he's an all-inclusive, like, even though he's the head coach, those associate coaches, those assistant coaches are involved in this as a group of coaches and that's right. why that's why as I opposed think, to trying to be the man and it's all about yeah. him and what he has to say and dropping the hammer for sure. Yeah. And so that's going to bode well because those guys basically get to contribute and are part of that group. So Scott O'Neill coming in, like, you know, a year ago, Scott O'Neill had to be behind the bench when bones missed for some, I, I think he had COVID, COVID himself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something that, you know what they, they handled it. Then they'll handle it again. We'll see what uh, what Winnipeg's got on store. Uh, the Detroit game coming up for them is interesting, but yeah, Detroit's a hard read on that, you know. Especially since the the Jets always interesting because we got Michigan guys there, eh? I mean, Copper's not here anymore. Or is he in Detroit now or no? Mm-hmm. Where's he? At? Mm-hmm. Right, he's in Detroit, so that'll be interesting yeah. to get to go see him. But Sherrod's from Michigan. Sherrod's playing for Detroit this year, right? Yeah, yeah, it's um. Well, I told you that Detroit team's like 
their draft picks that panned out and Central Division expats. <laughs> like, you know, David Perron's on that team. Debrinket Alex Debrinket is like the hottest player in the NHL right now. One of, anyway. Well, he had that. Uh, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> when we get to Calgary, we can talk about the Brinket again. Because um, that's who he was playing when he got that that trick. But that, but that line's just money right now. Eh? He's playing, him and Larkin are like the dynamic duo. And then they have, who else is it on that line? Well, okay, so if you were going to pick an NHL comparative for Dylan Larkin of an NHL veteran player, wouldn't Patrick Kane be a, a guy that Dylan Larkin reminded you of? Mm. No, no. No, I don't look at Dylan Larkin in that way. I, I think uh, he's an extremely dynamic player and hasn't played with a lot of good teams, so it's hard because Kane right out of the gate, like there wasn't too long before Chicago was pretty unreal, right? He didn't have to go through that stretch. And he had Johnny Taze as a wingman right off the bat. But I mean, like, if you're comparing, like, how they skate and how they play, like, to me, I actually kind of feel like he's more like um, Martin St. Louis or something like that, you know, like the way they play the game. Maybe. Like small small in stature, super dynamic goal scorer. I just I just think the chemistry right now between Larkin and DeBrinket reminds me of DeBrinket and Kane. And... I couldn't believe that he I couldn't believe he scores 40 and they don't keep him that. I just didn't understand that. Well, because they they had to lose and they thought they would win too many games with both Kane, who they couldn't move, and to bring it. That's, a, That's he, just so hilarious like, to say that. They just they had to they, lose. Yeah. Like so Doc goes because that's a top six player. Uh Hagel goes because He's got a great contract. It's like you're too good, you got to go. You're too good, you got to go. We got to go get Bedard. Hey, it worked out for him, but like, fuck yeah, they gave up some good players, man. I almost wish. That's why I wish they didn't get Bedard because after they did that, I was like, okay, you get rid of Hagel, you get rid of um, the Brinket, you get rid of um, the Kirby Doc, um, who other than injuries, you know, would be playing top six, and it's like you leave like Kane and Taze with nobody. On purpose, right? No goaltending, just to try and get Bedard. And I just wish they would have ended up like with the fifth overall pick and not got anybody, you know? Like, but no, they end up with Bedard. So we'll go figure. Wait, one more thing. One more thing. I got to say one more thing. The Jets, Connor Hellebuck, right? How money has he been, right? The last few games, last couple? He's been back to his Vesna self, making huge saves, standing on his head. Stoning guys on breakaways, and like he had a really rough start to the season. So, just have to give a shout out to Connor Hellebuck playing amazing goaltending. Yeah, that's fair enough because that's part of that turnaround, and see if that continues. What I was going to say, actually, if we want to say one more thing about them playing in Detroit, because Hellebuck is a Michigan, another Michigan guy. There it is. Yeah, yeah, but his last couple outings against Detroit have not been keeper nights. Like they had that one where they they ended up running and gunning with Detroit last year and end up losing, you know. Um, in Detroit. yeah, that was, that was definitely a fire wagon one. It did not go well. Yeah, and so I don't know uh, about that, you know. And it's like the other component was the fact that you know, right around Thanksgiving time, the Minnesota guys would go back, and Minnesota back to back years has blown up Winnipeg in Minnesota, even though. 
there's more Minnesotans on the Winnipeg team. You'd just be like one of those things where there's just too many distractions, right? You're back home, you're seeing family, you're seeing friends you haven't seen forever because you're always on the road and you're living somewhere else. Like it's exciting and you want to get a W and you want to play your best, but uh, I don't know. I feel like that maybe takes your focus away from the game a little bit. And the gold goaltender is the one position you can't be a little bit off. Or you yeah. Pump. Yeah. Which is why we both probably think our next team we're going to talk about Seattle is not going to be back in the playoffs. Goaltending or lack of goaltending in their case is not going to be um, helping their cause. So Seattle had their first win, a 7-4 home win to Carolina. Again, have to score seven goals, like more than five to win the game. They then have a 4-1 home loss to the New York Rangers, but they do get that surprising 5-4 road overtime win over Detroit. Um, So they did pull that one out of the hat. But look how many goals they got to score um, for the games they win. Um, And... Right now they're two, four, and one, five points. So it's also also worth mentioning, man, because this is what you were saying about earlier about how did they, how did the the opposition play against other teams? The Hurricanes have been in a, on a bad stretch. They've really really struggled lately. Um, goaltending has been an issue for them as well. So they put up seven on a team that struggled to keep pucks out of the net the last few games. Yeah, that's true. Win. Well, yeah, even the wins, they basically had to score five goals in both those games to get the wins, right? So yeah, all these games, four goals against, you got to get five or more to win them. Now they do, did. Do you, do you see that crazy shit that happened against Detroit um, when, uh, what was it, uh, Schwartz threw his stick and it stopped the puck? First of all, when you throw a stick, it's in the, it's in the rule book. It's a penalty. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, a penalty shot if you throw your stick. And uh, he didn't get a penalty. And then Seattle went the other way and scored immediately on a breakaway. And it's it's not reviewable. It's I guess be not. I, I don't it's understand. It's got to be at the time. But, yeah, like, well, the schedules, they've tried to help Seattle with their scheduling. I remember that last year where um, the number of teams coming, having to play in Vancouver, then play the next night in Seattle was like, like three times as many as the other way around as far as the scheduling, meaning that they would always get the backup goalie or they would get a tired team playing against them. They had some scheduling benefits. Um, We'll mention um, in addition to Tana being out forward, Andre Burakowski is out six to eight weeks with a upper body injury. That team is having trouble scoring goals. Burakowski was still out, right? Yeah, Brandon yeah. Tana, like they're missing some pieces for sure. Yeah, and but we said have... that we said like podcast one, I believe, if not podcast two. I don't know. One of the very first podcasts we did here, we were talking about uh, goaltending. We were really uh, conscientious about the fact that their goaltending is subpar, and and a lot of things had to go a right way to have a repeat season from last year. You know. Yeah, like, and they took in... they took out that you know that depth, like, and not to talk about Detroit again, but. Uh... The fourth liner that put up twenty goals last year is in Detroit now. Um, same with same with Chicago too, right? The guy playing with Bedard. Yeah, yeah. On Seattle last year and scored twenty, but they don't have him anymore. Yeah, and so they like and Burakovsky's a guy that they only had for part of the year last year because he was injured, but now he's injured again. So that's a top six guy out of the mix, and they don't have the depth they had to uh, 
to just basically survive with injuries like this. And yeah, so, so I'd say for those that like to bet, like might be a good time to go out there and play some money on on Seattle winning the lottery next year or finishing last of the season. Like there, no, I wouldn't go that far. I, just, I think they're gonna be. I think they're gonna be competing with San Jose. What is that a hot take? Yeah, that's, that's a hot, hot take. take. You don't I think, think with all the injuries take. that they have that they're and they're brutal, man. They can't buy a dub. The only way they get a W is when they play Carolina, who can't stop a fucking puck. Am I wrong? <laughs> No, I think it's a hot take to put them with Seattle. Okay, right? okay, mark it down. Check the receipt later. Seattle I mean, is definitely bottom five in the league at the end of the year. Sorry, cracking fast. Okay, so the, the the level right above that is like where you would probably peg Nashville because I, I think there's going to be five teams below. Like, I think San Jose is going to be below. I'm I'm not sure Anaheim's going to be much well, the pre- higher. The predators, the predators are better than, than the Kraken. That's where I think they're going to, I think that's where they're going to be. And they have Saros, man, right? That's the difference. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's the difference. Saros will get them extra dubs. The Kraken don't have a goalie that can steal a game or keep them in a game, you know? Yeah, okay. That that, that might be the difference on it. But Too many cheapies. That's where where I kind of, uh, you know what? I got Seattle and Nashville kind of, I think they're both around 450, um, like point percentage by the end of the year. Just like just outside of the mix but not good enough to get a like to be able to win the draft lottery i think that's kind of where they're both gonna kind of finish out but you could be wrong maybe you could be right seattle maybe they're gonna be right down there yeah maybe Um, they'll get healthy maybe grubauer will play amazing maybe if grubauer can stay healthy too that's the other thing like i'm telling you i i'm not picking see it like if joey descartes got to carry the ball in net um yeah they they could be very well with san jose like uh, i don't know about that goaltending is huge but scoring goals they got to figure a way to score goals and 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 they have injuries to guys they need to score goals this is what i'm saying man they're gonna they could go on a serious losing streak like oh like two and eight in the next 10 you know in the next 20 they might only win if they're lucky they win 10 out of 20 that's what i'm saying so yeah okay yeah i agree with you we see, which is crazy because I was the guy initially, like I'll own it. I, I was thinking of the Seattle from last year. I wasn't thinking about the guys they lost necessarily. I forgot about those guys, those depth guys. And now the injuries that they had, that didn't happen at the time. They were healthy. Oh, Sprong. How about mentioning Sprong now? You got to talk about yeah. Sprong. Yeah, that's it. That's it. The guy I always forget to name is Daniel Sprong. And then, of course, we did mention as well Ryan Donato. Both those guys put up goals part of that depth and, and, and bottom six depth. Like, I mean, you joke about Donato being on the top line in Chicago because they don't have a proper roster. Everybody except for Bedard is a third liner. Um, so somebody has got to play the first line, but when you look at it, Daniel Sprung was a 20 goal scorer. He's in Detroit now. And like, sorry, Kaylor Yamamoto is not getting 20 goals like Daniel Sprung did last year. That's why I think there was going to be regression. Yeah, they're missing way too many pieces, man. And then now throwing the injuries. And they were a team that kind of like, they fought tooth and nail to get in there, right? But I feel yeah. bad for uh, kind of for that, uh, the fan base for Seattle because they were really getting behind their team. And they were an exciting, fun team to watch last year. Like, seriously, like I, they were one of the teams that I enjoyed watching. Like, but. I think it's in the right direction. It's just that they've really valued this defensive, like their coach, uh, Dave Haxtall, who did coach, I guess, a year or two in Philadelphia, 
Um, but he's really a defensive kind of first structured kind of like the Pacific divisions, like old Nashville coach, John Hines type of coach. Right. So like that system play where he's going to roll full four lines. And at the time, like they were really big on having, you know, all the defense kind of play equally. Like it's not like it's a star player, right. They're just kind of like this team first mentality. And I get that when everybody's kind of pulling their weight, but the the team doesn't have that depth for that elite scoring to basically handle when injuries come because there's just too many guys missing. Like that's that whole thing. Like I look at the Burakovsky's injury and think, okay, yeah, but you you don't have Sprong, you don't have you know Tanev right now, like. And I like Ty Karche, don't get me wrong. And and I think, uh, you know, absolutely Maddie Beneers is good. And it's nice to see Jordan Eberle. You know, he had the OT winner the other night. But And Gene you know, Schwartz, too. Big Gene Schwartz, man. Yeah, who's a, a former cup winner. But, yep. yeah, it's just, there's not star power. And the specialty teams, they don't have it, right? We're talking about teams doing good off the start. That's the other thing. Seattle's power play is not a good power play and they give up short-handed chances like it's going out of style like they do too and so it's a bad combo so where they are at a minus nine goal differential that's legit i think that's going to hold up through the year i wonder if they are like say they're not a bubble team and they're substantially lower down if they trade off some vets like let's say like a yanni gord or jordan eberle you know for a playoff contender but I, I don't think they can do that. I think they just have to eat it and keep trying to, like, again, add to the mix. You don't like think they do that forward. to get some picks? Yeah. I You know what, though? I thought they still had enough picks going on because they have, you know, done some where they moved on from guys. But you know what I mean? Like, on the back end, they moved on from Carson Susie too. I was not a fan of that. Um, Vancouver's benefiting from having him and and uh, in the lineup. Um, so, I mean, there's a bit of that. I don't know. I just, they, they, they seem like a team that's kind of in between. Like they don't really knew, know who they are anymore. They don't have that identity that they had last year. Yeah. And I, and it influxes. I think they thought they were going to be able to keep the same identity, but that lineup doesn't allow them to keep the same identity. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's going to be interesting, but yeah, I think they're going to, they're going to struggle more than people think. Um, they still have the best goal regression. song, though, right? They come out to Nirvana, right? Is they come out to Nirvana? It's their goal song. Uh, might, lithium, I think. It might be when they score a goal. They they haven't scored so many goals lately. I've forgotten what the goal song for. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. I'll have to pay close attention next time. It's a few minutes of silence, apparently. <laughs> the crickets. Um, okay, we're <laughs> going to talk. We're talking about one team that's done really good in the Pacific ahead of schedule, Vancouver. Eight points, sitting second, four two and zero. Oh. And uh, this week, uh, since we last talked to you, they did have the four one road loss in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay needed to win a game, but they get the five three road win in Florida, and they follow that up with a three two road win over Nashville. So Vancouver winners of the last two, and sitting in second spot, 
we of course talked the last podcast about them starting with the two big wins in Edmonton, but because of those two wins too, that's really a 500 team through the other games they've played so far. Man, how about Pedersen playing absolutely unreal? Um, he, he, he signed a new contract, did he not, at the start of the season? No. Wasn't it? No, he has no contract. He is really? playing out the year as a pending. Well, they better sign him because he's he's agent. turning into like an elite, elite player. And and how about, well, it's Besser. Besser was, remember last year, all the talk about Besser being traded? Mm-hmm. And Besser's having a great start to the season, sniping away. Yeah, they revisited it. Apparently, Besser's contract was hard to move on from. They had said they would try and move him. They couldn't find a good fit. I mean, ideally, he would have wanted to go back to Minnesota. What does Minnesota not have? Any cap space to take on anybody. They had to let Dumba go. The year before, they had to let Fiala go. They couldn't bring, you know, the Minnesota-born Besser um, to add to their offense because they can't fit it under their cap, you know? Um, so there weren't any teams that could could move on that. And look, I've got Pedersen's been a great player um, for them. He's their most dynamic player and has been. I just don't know. And I know like I've got all day for their coach too, right? And I've said this, you know, Rick Tockett when he was in Arizona, like he got the most out of what he had, which wasn't always the greatest, you know, uh, cast of you know, roster construction, but he always seemed to like, you know, keep them really close to the playoff bubble. But this Vancouver team, I I still think the jury's out. I just don't think they have the the scoring depth. And I'm not really sold on that defensive group over a full 82. So they might think- sneak in as as a eighth place, you know, like just sneak into the playoffs though. Yeah. Like I like well- I like me some uh, I like me some Kuzmanko, he's solid. And okay, obviously, but- JT Miller is a good leader. And then uh, <clears throat> Quentin Hughes is unreal, man. Like, do you hear that stat where uh, Vancouver's outscoring opponents 14 to 1 with him on the ice? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, their goal differential right now is plus eight. They're scoring a lot of goals for Demko's been good. Demko hasn't been, he's not Vesna conversation right now. But actually, the sneaky pickup for them was getting Casey DeSmith when he got offloaded by Pittsburgh to Montreal and getting him for the backup. Casey Smith has played really good as far as his games in Vancouver so far. That might be the difference between them, you know, making it in as a, you know, wildcard eighth spot team and, you know, missing the playoffs. That might be the difference. I think that's the team to watch. I think their, their worst deal they have is Tyler Myers, man, like. I don't know. Yeah, and they tried that's to move too, on from that, but, but who's who's taking that on, right? That's the whole thing yeah. on it. I I agree, but you know, getting uh, Ian Cole, Carson Susie into that mix was was good. I told I told you like when we did the preview that those two as a defensive pairing in Minnesota before uh, Susie was lost in the expansion draft was they they were very good uh, making sure the other team didn't score for a bottom pairing to defense pair um one of the better ones in the league when they were paired together and then minnesota lost both of them i yeah i just you know what secondary scoring for vancouver is what what kind of makes me wonder about that team but they're their best players like you said hughes and 
uh, Elias Patterson. Their best or... players are being their best players. You know, that's yeah. like the cliche saying, but it's true. They're all stepping up. They're all making plays. Yeah, they look. They do lack depth scoring, and I'm not sold on their goaltending. But I mean, when you it's just when you look at the teams. I mean, I I think uh, the more I've watched them, I like Zona more than I thought I'd like them. Think they're they're a team that could sneak into the playoffs. Um, but here's I don't the know, thing: the, fl- the Flames are bad, and yeah. I thought they they would be better than they are. And maybe it's just the start of the season. Maybe they'll get it together. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But they just don't. They look terrible. The Kraken obviously look terrible. Like you um, take you take it right now though. You got three guaranteed spots right for each division. Okay, so you got Vegas locked, and yeah, and we had to lock it. Get a locked it in the preseason that Vegas is going to be in above the playoffs. L.A. locked. Yeah, uh, Edmont- Edmonton. Despite their terrible start, they're going to be there. Yeah, but that means like. That's your Vancouver, Calgary, Seattle is that next group of teams that are going to compete for a wildcard spot. Vancouver is going to be in the mix unless, you know, the Central Division team has two wildcard teams, which I think is possible because the Locks, Dallas, Colorado, you got Minnesota, you got Winnipeg, and then you got Nashville. One of those two teams is going to be there for sure. Yeah. There's one wildcard spot that to me, Vancouver has a shot at if they're the fourth best in the Pacific being ahead of the fifth best team in the central, which is kind of how we like a Nashville, went. right? Yeah, yeah. probably be like a Nashville. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Or Arizona. Like if or Arizona. Can... Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Right. That's kind of it could be Vancouver, Arizona for the last wild card spot, whether it's yeah. a four four split or a five three. You know, well, we say the check the receipts. We should mark that comment down. Like right now, those yeah. those are three teams fighting for the bubble, probably. Yeah, I, well, I'd even put it down to two teams. I almost, I almost say you could go. Okay, well, let's start with the Pacific. We'll put the three teams. So you got Vegas, LA, and Edmonton going to finish in the top three in the Pacific. Yep. Okay, then you go to the Central. You got Colorado, Dallas, and then Minnesota or Winnipeg, and then. Whichever one doesn't finish third, that's one of the wild card spots. Yeah. Okay. Then that leaves that one wild card spot, which either is a fifth place, potentially Arizona, or fourth place Pacific, Seattle, Vancouver, Calgary, if they, I don't know, get some guys that can skate. From what I've seen early on, I I probably lay money. I don't know. It's it's between Vancouver. And Zona, like I just think, yeah, Nashville doesn't have and anybody. What would what would be the odds? Like, if you got the sports books, and we're not even sponsored by a sports book, by the way, if you're a sports book sponsor, our show, yeah, don't um, be afraid. Let's go. But you know what? If you look at Vancouver and Arizona on what you get on money to make the playoffs right now, that's a good bet on putting money on either of those teams to sneak in as that second wild card team, like early on, like. There's something, and you can guys can get the receipts on that. I think it comes down to Vancouver, Arizona would be a good thing on it. Let's talk about Calgary then. Um, sure. 3-1 road loss in Columbus. Um, Rasmus Anderson, late hit with um, leaving his feet with no time left in the game, gets a four-game suspension that Gary Bettman upheld. Yeah. No surprise because it's not going to the um, 
arbitrator. That's the only time these things get changed. If Gary Bettman's making the decision, and he said years ago, the staff he put in place he believes in. So he gave uh, Peros, you know, Department of Player Safety, right? So he he upholds it. There was no way that was going to get moved. Bettman's not going to change the decision by the person he put in charge of the department. So if it doesn't go to an arbitrator and it wasn't enough games to be able to go to an arbitrator, doesn't get reduced. It didn't. He won't be available for the Heritage Classic. I almost called it Winter Classic again. But that hit on Patrick Line, injured Line, um, although I guess he will get back to the lineup sooner than later, um, doesn't appear to be as bad. But Rasmus Anderson out after that loss. Then they had that 6-2 road loss in Detroit, the the Brinkett trick game. And Patrick Kane, and we'll talk about this because he was, of course, with Chicago, although he had a cup of coffee and helped the Rangers get eliminated early in the playoffs because they just messed up their team chemistry, getting both (laughs) Patrick Kane and Vladdy Tarasenko. They only got four cups added to the room, but then they couldn't, you know, put line combos together to beat Jersey in the first round last year's playoffs. But Patrick Kane joining Detroit is a real thing. That may that may be where he's leaning now, especially if Detroit continues to start to the season they had. And that's a scary thought because the Brinkett and Kane. Well, you know what? From a perspective of a you know, like I said, cheering for players and great plays. Nothing like Chicago before they blew up that team to, you know, be bad for Bedard. Um, the Brinkett and Kane, especially in three-on-three overtime, was just a joy. Like the shortened season and his... What an, what an interesting career resume, though, hey? He goes to Chicago, then New York, and then he goes to Detroit, all uh, original six teams. You know, if you did that. Yeah, and, and he might. Like that's might, yeah. like Buffalo they've talked, which would have him be playing close to home. But I honestly think the the Brinkett factor, because I talked about this last year before um he got dealt and Ottawa was kind of hanging around. They like they were cl- like they were still in the conversation to maybe sneak into the playoffs. And it was like, man, they should go out and get Patrick Kane um and put those two together. And of course, you know, they picked up Chikrin and they were they were making a run at it. But Kane, like, here's the deal, Warren. You asked me about there was a there's a reason Alex DeBrinkat was traded from Chicago. Like Kirby Doc, too good of a player, top six player, to bring it the leading goal scorer. But him and Patrick Kane, they are buddies. And if you have to as an organization get rid of a three-time cup winner and you don't want him to stay but you don't want to look like the organization that says yeah see you later patrick kane they want to make it look like patrick kane left you take his best friend and his best line mate and you pack him off somewhere else and hey let's not discount him going to play under the leadership of stevie y one of the greatest of all time Right. Yeah. Well, it's I think, true. That, I think that has some merit too, man. Right. Yeah. But 
the thing with it is that Detroit's positioned in a spot where that makes sense to do it. And they want to make the playoffs. They can't not miss the playoffs this year. And the start they're having, that makes total sense. I would say he signs with Detroit 60%, 20% with Buffalo, 20% with Dallas, and 20% with, well, no, there's no more percentage. I think that's it. He's either in Buffalo, Detroit, or Dallas. I don't know how Dallas makes the money fit. And I would say it's 60-40 that it's Detroit at this point. And to Brinkett's, that that's the reason it bumps up. Anyways, we're supposed to be talking about Calgary. Yeah, but the Flames. The yeah. <laughs> went, on, <laughs> went off tangent and started talking about Patty Kane forever. But, uh, hey, that's that's how entertaining the Flames have been. Let's be serious. They have and two guys on their team that have six points. <laughs> like they, 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 they have nobody scoring goals. They got embarrassed in Detroit. That was a 6-2 loss. It was, an, it was a blowout. They cannot compete with teams that actually can skate in this league, which is most teams. They also lost 3-1 to one at home to the New York Rangers. The Rangers have uh, the ability to skate. Then a good roster. Another loss. So Calgary is 2-4-1, five points. One of those wins, as we repeat, it's going to be like every podcast, the Markstrom stole two points from Winnipeg game. That's one of those two wins. Yeah, the Flames looked like an AHL team in that game. That was just absolutely fucking crazy. And but that's why I said, like, don't they're going to be bad, man. Like, just watching them in that game, despite the fact they got the dub, and it's like, oh, that's a homer thing to say because your team lost. But, like, you watch that game over, and it, there's, there's no doubt. Like, they just have so many things going wrong with them. And then, sure enough, they've been shit ever since. Yeah. And, and again, I like, Saren Govich is the one guy that can skate on that team, and he was probably one of the better players on Calgary. They are too slow. I don't know. Like I said, maybe um, – Coronado, the the power play setup doesn't like they have no no speed no motion. I mean, I, I know we talk about Hannafin having the ability to skate, but the, like you can count on one hand the number of guys that can skate on Calgary right now, and and you take um, uh, Pelchier who's hurt to start the season. That's a guy that would have some wheels, but the rest of that roster like it's aging. You know, Uyghur's not fast. Tanev's not fast on defense. Zadorov's not fast. They can't break out of their zone. And so if the goal is... I just took a quick peek, man, and they have one goal from the back end. Yeah, but so they're not... Ju- all right? like, you're not no, jumping no production. up in the rush. Yeah. No. So that Pelche the, guy is nice, too. Eh? He's a good He's a good piece. How long is he out for, though? Well, it was, it was weeks at the start of the season. So, it like, he's on long-term injured reserve right now. Like, so... When he's getting close to returning or actually practicing with the team, we'll let you know. But yeah, that's that's a big hit for a team that needs when you look at teams that can skate, and we talk about Arizona improving this year, they can skate with everybody. Like they they have speed. Like then you know, the teams and they lit up St. Louis in this, you know, and in, in the podcast we're talking about. And they have speed. Like Calgary, no speed, six two road loss in Detroit, Arizona. The up and coming team with speed, they beat St. Louis six to two on the road in St. Louis. Yeah. What's what's the difference between the rosters? You'd be telling me like everybody being like, well, yeah, but you, Calgary's got Caudry, they've got Huberto, they've got okay, great, but they're not playing with any speed and they're not controlling the puck. 
So teams with speed are scoring goals and winning games, unless Markstrom plays on his head or Vladar got lit up by Detroit. So yeah, I, I Calgary will not. And, and it's not lack of effort. It's the NHL is with speed right now. And, and especially teams off the start of the season in Calgary right now is not doing either of those. So they win if Markstrom can steal. Games. And you know how we always talk about game breakers. It's kind of a common theme that we talk about different teams, different, even bad teams having game breakers on their team. Who is a game breaker on the flames currently? It's Lindholm, but they don't have anybody playing with Lindholm right now. That would be it. That would be my he's answer. Getting, he's got he's got two goals so far. Yeah. So, but the whole thing is that Huberto and Lindholm have not worked together. They, that there doesn't seem to be anything with Lindholm and Kadri, and it's like there's no speed. And so, you get a guy like Lindholm, and you're not getting him your game breaker the puck. And that's an issue. Like when Tarasenko struggled in St. Louis, St. Louis's defense is old and wasn't getting the puck up to him. But when they had the ability, when they had Jay Bowmeister, when they had Alex Petrangelo, Tarasenko was a game breaker because they could get him the puck. And if you got him the puck in the neutral zone, well, it's in the back of the net twice and twice a night, you know, and, and that's the whole thing on it. And you wonder if we, you know, again, not to jump ahead, Jordan Cairo, you got to get him the puck, but St. Louis's defense isn't getting the puck to Jordan Cairo. And then he's got to be able to finish, but he's got all the way to the world. You got to get it to them with, with pace in stride so that they have a chance to beat the defenseman to the outside or hit him up the middle, you know, get him two on ones, a breakaway here and there. Uh, You got to give those guys a chance to, and then on the power play too, you got to have a power play that can do some things like the flames, uh, the flames, the blues. Yeah. Well, the blues at least have a couple more game changers, game breakers than the flames right now. You know, Kadri's just milking that, that contract. Like Kadri has one assist in seven games and he's minus eight. And he, you know, he's his, (laughs) and how much is he making? How much is he making to have one assist and minus eight? In seven games, bro. Oh, that's a lot of not know. showing up and doing anything, man. Like he had a huge playoff with Colorado and he cashed in and he's fucking doing he, nothing. He is a good playoff performer. It's just it, it, there's nobody on that roster getting that team into the playoffs for him to be yeah, a playoff say, performer. He's a playoff performer. You just got to get there first. Eh? Then all of a yeah. sudden he'll magically light it up or well, Zadarov basically said everybody was a bunch of individuals again this week. Deja vu from last year. I know, year. I saw that. It is and, early to be saying that shit. Hey, that's like putting out the fires right now. And it's it's like, fires. And, and, and Zadarov, what's his plus minus one? Like, I don't even have it in front of me. Check but, this out. Oh, like, he's a solid minus six. <laughs> yeah. He's got a whopping zero goals to assists, killing it. You're not even quite sure he's a top four NHL defenseman yet. He's calling out the rest of the team, dude. Uh, Huberto is minus seven in seven games, but with four like, points. I've watched Calgary play like full games now, a couple of them, and 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 caught other parts of it, and I'm just like, oh boy. I'm like, like I said, I can't do it, man. I tried. I flipped over. I tried to watch a little bit. Like Detroit's unreal what? right now, so they're fun to watch, but just they're so bad. Well, I'm like, if you if you can't fall asleep, then get in a get in a Calgary game. Just put it on to help you get to sleep at night. 
Maybe if they played um, Vancouver, it's a late game type situation. Yeah. So yeah, they do have the Heritage Classic coming up, and both Edmonton and Calgary need to win that. We'll move on to Nashville now. Four-one uh, road win in New York. They pull that one out again on the backs of UC Soros. They just put this in. If if Nashville wins games, UC Soros plays good. When they don't, he's either not in net or he gets lit up, like Edmonton did that one game prior. Five-one uh, home win over San Jose. It's San Jose. They haven't beat anyone. And then the three-two home loss to Vancouver which again gives credence to why Vancouver more so than Nashville probably is that team that, that gets like is a more wild card uh, capable team. The predators have no depth. They have Philip Forsberg and who else? Who do they got? The O'Reilly. O'Reilly's playing up on the top line with, with uh, this is true. Yeah. Mark. They got O'Reilly. They have Forsberg. Who else do they have? They don't have anybody, man. That's the thing. Well, they get the they got the young guys, the, the Tommy Novak, who basically everybody he's actually has. playing pretty well for them. Actually, shouldn't like hate on hate on the two, but he's he's having a good start to the season. No, okay, and, and I don't hate on Tommy Novak. I'm just like he's a late bloomer. They 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 categorize a career AHLer up until like last year, although he had a couple cups of coffee and played well, um, and he had that breakout last year and not a full year, but he's 26 years old. And they loop them in with Tomasino and Evangelista and all, and even Cody Glass, like top prospects. Dude, Cody, Cody Glass must be a healthy scratch. He's only played five no, games. Five he's hurt. Games. He's hurt right now. He's hurt? All yeah, right, he's, he's hurt. And that's, he had zero and he, points. He had zero points in those five games, so I'm just checking but, but he, that. Yeah, but he, and he's supposed to be in a second-line role, too. Um, but, yeah, they don't have the depth through the lineup. Um, you know what, though? Like, I, I've got time for Philip Tomasino. I, I've got time for Luke Evangelista. What it what and I and I don't mind Tommy Novak. I just don't lump him in with the under 25 group of you know potential NHL quality, you know, players. Like I think Evangelista and, and Tomasino are gonna be everyday NHL players, probably top nine players in the league when they develop. Tommy Novak's 26. Like he's a prime age player right now. He had a breakout, great, but he's not a prospect. That's my bone with Nashville. They lump him in as if he was a 23-year-old second-round pick that, you know, is is coming up. It's the same thing they did with uh, the defenseman Carrier. I don't know. They did claim Columbus forward Liam Booty off of waivers since our last podcast, and the uh, remember we're talking about guys that played together with each other in junior. Yep. Okay. So Fruity played with Evangelista in the Ontario Hockey League with London. Ah. So there's a connector there. Just thought we mentioned that. Yeah, Nashville. Nashville is going to go as far as UC Soros can stand on his head. So you know what? That's been true the last three years. I think yeah, really for years now. For years yeah. now. That's it. Um, Arizona. They were like a they were a powerhouse when the Jets were playing them years back. That team was stacked. Like it's they've kind of fallen off a cliff from that team. Yeah, they, but you know what? That was uh, like they got the Laviolette, and it like basically get to the finals. Laviolette, and then he kind of his message loses interest. They went to John Hines, and they just started moving pieces out of that group that you don't move out. They didn't keep the right players. And now, yeah, they're trying to do the not do a rebuild, 
rebuild. And yeah, I mean, Luke, Luke Shen's also hurt still. I don't know when he's going to come back, but uh, yeah, like they're just, they're, they are, they are that murky middle team right now and have been for years and they're going to be again this year. Unless if UC Soros gets hurt, then they'll be along with San Jose and as Warren predicts Seattle this year. Yeah. Now Arizona is that other team that I think we are going to bump up further and further as the season goes on in these stand at like when we're talking about teams, they had the six, two road win in St. Louis, by the way, give myself a pat on the back. If you took my advice and took any time point on Keller, he did have points. They lost Jason Zucker though, in the Anaheim game, a two, one home win. That's their first home game, by the way, was a win two, one rough game over Anaheim. Jason Zucker went down and, um, Actually, uh, Carcone, one of their players that they've developed in the American Hockey League, just got smoked and had to leave the game. But he did play versus L.A., so like, nice to see. He was reaching for a puck and just got goodest. <laughs> Radko goodest. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a term. Like, now just for a, like, just clean hit, by the way, shoulder on shoulder. So, and he was reaching for the doesn't Gudis kind of remind you of like a troll from Lord of the Rings? Every time yeah. I look at him, I just think of like one of those little little trolls. Like yeah, I think I think so, but like you know what I mean? Like mixed with a Viking, but he's too short to be a Viking, you know? I, I don't know, but he's just like that's the one thing Anaheim didn't have after they moved on from uh oh, what's his name that ended up going to Minnesota for a cup of coffee, then over to Philadelphia on their forward group, DeLaurier. So they they moved on from DeLaurier and Josh Manson went to Colorado and then they were just getting pushed around. So they get a guy like Gudis. And you know what? When he makes a hit, um, most of the time it's clean, but, uh, well, as long as he makes contact on it the right way, not always. But he's not trying to play dirty. That's what I find with Gudis. And, like, that was a clean hit. And at least Carcone got back in the lineup. They lose Zucker in another battle in that game. And that basically he's out week to week. And that's another factor. They don't have a ton of depth. So Jason Zucker was playing great for them. And that lost LA, you could tell that the lines were just, you know, like they were off. And so I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. But Jason Zucker is a big loss for Arizona. In the meantime, um, actually, um, Connor Ingram was out of the net after it was three to one in the first period, and they went to Vimalka, but then they made a game of it. Like they got it to within a goal, and Dumba looks pretty good. He's had a good start with them, and yeah, uh, and I, th- I think he's going to continue to have it. And and, and Dursey, right? Those two have been good impact players for them so far. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like you look at that defense. And I talk about how slow Calgary is. And you know what? Like, I'd take Chris Tana probably over Dumba in his prime. I'd probably take, you know, Hannafin in his prime over Dursey, potentially, maybe. I don't know. That, that's a toss-up. But the one thing about that Arizona D, they're not, getting, they're not getting stuck in their zone. They can get the puck up to those forwards, and those forwards can play. You know, they're getting the puck up to Clayton Keller. They're getting it up to you know, Logan Cooley. And, and so 
they're not really getting boxed in all that much. So, you know, are they as good of a D group as some other teams? No, but Matt. What's Dumba, the story Sean with Mercy? this uh, Michelli guy, man? What's his deal? It's a great pat. I don't know pa- anything about him, but he's just he stood out when I watched their games. I'm like, who is this guy? He he was up for fourth in balloting for rookie of the year last year, but he he had an injury. But points per game, he probably would have been right up there with uh, Seattle. Where did he come from, though? Like originally, was, was he a he's college drafted, hockey player or? or uh... dra- yeah, so Michelli basically um, has come up through the Arizona system, and last year he's a great passer. He's he's definitely got the vision like a Perfetti does in Winnipeg. However, the knock on Michelli is that he he overpasses, but his passes are. They're bang on. He's a guy that, again, basically was um, helped Lawson Krause uh, get up to the point totals um, for, you know, 20 goal season last year, but he was injured. So a full season of him and whether or not he shoots more, that's going to be a big thing for him because teams aren't like, they know who he is now. They know he's a starting to cheat guy. towards him. He can, he can make plays. And again, oh hey, it's I'm, it's worth pointing out uh, that Sherwood there he recorded a Gordie Howe hat trick against uh, the Abysmal Sharks, eh? Yeah, one, it's against the Sharks. Two, it still counts. There's been a fair amount of them this week. It seems like every year, everywhere I, I look at my notes, I see Gordie Howe hat trick, Gordie Howe hat trick. There's been a bunch of them. He Sherwood to me is like a career American Hockey League guy that's finally just on a team in a rebuild, or even though they can't admit they're in a rebuild. Or he's getting so an he, opportunity. Right? So he gets to be bit. an NHL regular. But, yeah. you know, he'd have to be in San Jose, in Philadelphia, in Chicago, in Nashville to have a roster spot. Like there, that's a guy that basically on all the playoff-bound teams, Kiefer Sherwood is, like, getting cut before Jansen Harkins. Like, so I guess it's all right for him, but. Like, man, I'm looking at this 17 to 11 in turnovers. That's so bad. I did not watch this game. Full disclosure, I didn't even like partially tune into this game. But I'm looking at here. That's absolutely atrocious, man. Because St. Louis did have that 6 2 home loss to Arizona, we, we touched on aspects of that. They had a 4 2 home win over Pittsburgh, which again, this makes you wonder what's going on with Pittsburgh because they have been all over the place this start of this year, but we don't cover them. And 4-2 road loss to Winnipeg. Again, a game closer only because of Jordan Bennington. I do want to say that Pavel Bushnevich did return from his upper body injury in the game against Winnipeg and did have the first power play goal for the St. Louis Blues this season in that game. And because of the goaltending, Two, two, and one, five points. They are a 500 hockey team, but minus four on the goal differential. If you have any other thoughts you want to give on St. Louis. Cairo got stoned by Helly a couple times. Looked fast, looked quick. He looked decent. He rang a post. I don't know. There's nothing that really stood out to me, honestly. Like I found them to be like a pretty boring style. I'm not surprised that they their first goal was just recently on the power play. And, and the other uh, one was six on Bennington five. was decent. Yeah, he was decent. He made some big saves. Thomas's goal was six on five, too, when they were down a pair. Yeah. Right? That team is not generating offense. They don't really forecheck. 
the big bodies can't get in on the four check. Like that's what I took uh, Arizona and, and, and to an extent Winnipeg, like they weren't getting pinned deep in their own zone because St. Louis's guys aren't fast enough to get in on the four check to use the big bodies at this point. And again, like, that comes to the speed. For me, it was the, the, the opportunities that they got um, when they had odd man rushes or uh, had those breakaway opportunities. There were some mistakes made by the Jets. That's why I said when they were earlier in the podcast where they're kind of feeling the flow and they just started kind of to get a little loosey-goosey, so it provided those opportunities for them. I didn't feel like they were very good at breaking out of their zone. I didn't feel like their cycle game was all that great. But I've watched teams. Like, I watched Arizona, Winnipeg, Seattle. I'm forgetting somebody else at the beginning of the year. Dallas. All four of those teams and games I watched St. Louis play, all the teams St. Louis was playing against had offensive zone time, had the cycle going, had way more opportunities that other than goaltending, these would be 7-4, you know, 6-1 finals. Other than I feel like they're, they're very systematic, like, and it worked for the first period. And then it's like they broke, they made a couple errors, and then they just fell apart for a little bit and they started wandering all over the place. If they leave their structure, they're fucked. Yeah, but at a certain point, it's the only way they can stay in that structure is if Jordan Bennington keeps them in games and keeps it close. And he's not going to be able to do that over the full season because he's not consistent. And mark my word, if he actually does it this year and can put, you know, 50 plus games together where he's actually the way he's been off the start, don't get me wrong. In a one game with a lot on the line, Jordan Bennington can have a stellar game. He can steal games, but he can't consistently do it for a full season. Every time St. Louis makes the playoffs, like the year they did with Billy Huso, who's now in Detroit was basically backing up Bennington and basically won more games to get them into the playoffs. And it's not the first time. The Blues to me look like a team that's they're like, they're, they're somewhat like the Nashville predators approach, right? Like it's like if their goalie steals the game, they got a chance of getting a dub. If he, if he plays out of his mind, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. they're waiting for other teams to make mistakes. They're not in it. Their game isn't turning the puck over. It's not for checking. It's not yeah. having time on attack. It's not out shooting your opponents. Those are generally, those things are the recipe for success for most teams. Not and, many teams can play that sit back approach unless you have the players that can quick strike attack, like the LA Kings, for example. They play the 1 3 1, but they have big, strong players that have good finishing touch around the net that have some skill. So there's no comparing Kempe, Kopitar, Dubois to what's in. Uh, and those I guys can skate. And even, right. even, and you talk about, oh, who went, uh, who did they take second overall that year? Byfield. Even Byfield, Byfield yeah. like guys that can skate. Like if the puck gets up to them, they're going to be able to skate, right? That's big, the whole strong, thing. can skate, have hands, man. Like that's, there's a difference. Yeah. You know, and they got, so, they got Doughty on the back end. So you can get away with playing that way. You can sit back, wait, and then counterattack. It's yeah. tougher when you're St. Louis and you don't have that many weapons. Yeah, and you don't. And then your power play needs to compensate for that. And both St. Louis and Nashville's power plays struggle. And the fact that, and that's why the only really notable thing to say is, hey, St. Louis got their first power play goal in a loss that they've had all year. And it was like 0 for 12 or 13 prior to them getting that first one. 
that's not good. That's going to have you in the spot they're in. Actually, to be two, two and one, that's because Jordan Bennington's been that good. But he's not going to be that good all year. Teams worse than St. Louis and Nashville, Anaheim, 3-2 home loss to Dallas. They kept it close. They've been keeping it close, actually, in losses, but their losses. Uh, 2-1 road loss to Arizona, 3-1 home loss to Boston, and a 3-2 road overtime win in Columbus. Yeah, Anaheim, the games that I've watched or the bits and pieces that I've watched them, they haven't looked that bad, to be honest. I, I watched them when they're playing the Bruins there. They played them pretty tight. Um, I like me some Mason McTavish. He's uh, he put up a solid year last year as a rookie, and then then this year I think he's building off that. You know, um, Zegers, who you absolutely hate, he's got some skill. He overdoes it sometimes. He tries to get a little too cute sometimes, but he's a skillful player. Oh, he's enjoyable to watch for, for sure. That's what I'm saying. They, they get style <laughs> points, man. Like they get style points that team for sure. And you know, like that Vatrano is playing great, man. Vetrano's been their best player. I will say that right now too. And in fact, even like, he, even like Ryan Strom has had a really good start to the season, man. Like, who would have thought? Like, he's, he's having a pretty good season, man. Well, he's a solid top nine level guy. I, I think I think they need more from Troy Terry right now. Uh, that's a guy I'd like to see more from um, for that team. And Jamie Drysdale is going to be a great. Jamie Drysdale's injured. He's injured no, right now. Is he injured? Injured reserve. Yeah. Okay. Lower body. No, there you go. I didn't even realize that. But only played two games this year. There you go. Alex yeah. Kalhorn, injured reserve. Yeah, well, Kalhorn. Yeah, that's interesting to see that team with Kalhorn, who hasn't played yeah. a game. Well, well, I don't know piece, yet. Right? Yeah, we'll see. They got they're Adam cut. Henrique and Troy Terry. Like, I don't think they're that bad. They're not as bad as like. I think they have more options when they're healthy than the teams we just mentioned. And I'll agree with you on that. Like. But they're not having a good start to the season. Like they are two, four, and oh, four points. No, they, like I think like, they can't buy points, but you know. By the time Kalorn, if he if he does get back in a reasonable amount of time, like they're gonna be in such a hole to get out of. But the younger guys are fun to watch. Like McTavish is fun to watch. Rookie Leo Carlson. However, here's another thing. What's up with talk. the load management shit with Carlson, man? What is it? Have you heard of this? Yeah, yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about. So he's a healthy scratch for the last two games as Anaheim is planning to manage his workload in the first half of the season, which basically puts him out of contention in my argument, especially when you got a guy like Kalorin out of the lineup and other key players. Because Carlson two games so far at a six. So what yeah. is he going to play, like 30 games this season? What's the deal with that? What's the story well, behind They that? say in the first half... What it is is that the GM, Pat Verbeek, basically wants to not have him basically hit a wall like he felt he did as a player when he had to play the full 82. And based on Carlson being in Europe, he hasn't played more than 40 games in a year. And so they were trying to manage it so that in the back half, he plays it out. But in the first half, he misses games. And that's going to affect it too, because as far as Anaheim goes, the guy's a, a top, like he's a top 12 forward in the, in the team. Dude, right? He's top line. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's top six for sure, man. Six two, one ninety four. 194. What are they worried about? He's not five, eight, one sixty five, one seventy. but that's, let, that's let him the go play the game. That's but that's what they're crazy. doing. 
<laughs> okay, so Carlson did not play against Van Tilly head to head, and Van Tilly, of course, got did he not get a goal in that game for Columbus? Uh, yeah, that, that yeah. Game, yeah, first goal like of his career. He, fans feel cheated that they didn't get to see Anaheim's pick over Fantilli, and then Fantilli gets a goal in the game against a team that took a pass on him. Anaheim, yeah. of course, ends up winning the game, but neither here nor there. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, Carlson, that is going to be a storyline on this um, for the year. Don't put him on your Calder Bell ticket because – I don't know how you can get enough points to get in the conversation when you play less than 50 games for the year. Yeah, I just don't understand. When you're a team that's clearly in a rebuild mode, um, why are you sheltering this player like that? Like, what about him screams? Like, Because you, because you, when you were playing, Pat Verbeek struggled. You're putting that on, on Carlson saying he's going to have the same issue and he's going to hit a wall. Who cares, man? That's part of the process. Hitting that wall and finding a way to come back from that. Perfetti hit a wall last year a little bit before the injury. Not a hard wall, not super bad. But like every rookie goes through their ups and downs. That's part of the learning, growing process, is it not? Is that not part of it? Yeah, you know what, though? It's almost a GM admitting that he can't insulate his top rookie prospect, which Anaheim really, they can't. Like that, I look at that team and okay, yeah, sure, you know, Troy Terry can be dynamic. And if Zegris can ever learn to play defense, he might be top six value. I don't know about that, but you know, other than his, he, he I guess he sells tickets, however you want to say it, but they don't have the depth. Adam Hendrick in his prime was a great player and he's just not there anymore. And you know, Kalorn, like I said, if he played, would you know be an interesting piece to the mix they just don't have the roster to compete at this point so then they're saying to carlson if you play can't... carlson and then you go, and you have kill Oren in the lineup with vetrano strome mctavish terry and reek they're not that bad like they're they're a team worth watching they have young talent let them play man i don't want to hear any of that shenanigans fuck that that is just ridiculous if, we'll if he hits, if he if he doesn't play well and he struggles, if you see him hitting a wall where he's he's not he's starting to make a lot of mistakes, mental errors, and he looks fatigued, then in in the game, in that time, in those moments, you pull back his minutes a little bit, or you know the next few games, uh, maybe at some point, like halfway through the season, you take him out for a game. He's a healthy scratch for a couple of games, and you explain to him like we're just giving you a little bit of a blow here, and. Uh, you know, it's just part of the process, whatever, man. And you put him back in, you give him a shot again. Uh, I, I don't know, man. That's that's too much new age, safe space, holding hands, fucking, <laughs> you know, let's I put, didn't put think all you, of our kids. I didn't kids, think this is going to light a fire right? on Isn't you. Let, let's, let's put bubble wrap on everybody, grown adults, <laughs> you know. You know what, I man? Wish... We don't, we're worried about you. We don't we're... want you to get too tired or too sore. You don't want to be aching, you know. You don't have bumps they and do that bruises for and have to play too. through it. They should what? do that for Zegers too. Yeah, then he's I, small. Then I can watch them. Then I can watch some games with him not playing. I'd probably enjoy Anaheim more. <laughs> oh, the biggest hate on for Zegers in the world, man. He's only got one point six Trip, games though. Triple Zegers. They're putting me to sleep. I. You know what? Yeah, that one hey, goal. One and, point six games. One point, crazy. but. You know what? Like, what's his plus minus? Uh, everybody hates a plus minus, but he's responsible for more goals against 
already than the one point he's got for. He's even, actually. That's insane. Holy, holy. <laughs> I can't even believe that. Dan's mind is just blown. End of the podcast here. He's just yeah, like, it's, it's that's what it. we ended on. It's like, Seegers yeah. is even? Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about the tire fire that is Chicago, even though they have Bedard. Uh, 4-0 road loss in Colorado. Um, we already talked about that in Colorado section. 5-3 home loss to Vegas. 3-0 home loss to Boston. Like, you haven't scored in That's two a of lot the of last goose three games. Yeah. Oh, hey, and Bedard scored recently. I think it was the last game. He scored a goal, and it was sweet. Well, it can't be. They were shut out. It's yeah, but they Vegas. took it back, man. Oh, they, yeah? They, they, they went to review, and the guy was somebody who's offside. And he had like oh. a highlight real goal, man. And they're like, you guys haven't scored in fucking 11 games. And we're going to take this one away from you. They should have been like, fuck it. You're not going to score again. Give him the goal. <laughs> yeah, right. except that Boston goalie, you know, he's probably going to want the shutout. He's going to want the goose egg. Yeah. Probably. Colorado held him to without a shot. But it's the, ro- the roster. Like that roster is Bedard and everybody else that's third, fourth liners. And like Mackenzie Entwistle, I think you asked me about him at one point. You're like, what's up with this guy? I'm like, that guy should probably be playing second line in the American Hockey League, not on an NHL roster. Like that guy's like opening day cuts on any team that's going to be above the playoff cutoff if he's trying out for another team. He's on an NHL. Yeah, man, that's player. why prior to the draft, I was like, uh, I was talking to a couple of buddies. We were saying like, where would we want him to go? And I was like, uh, kind of leaning towards Zona uh, or the Ducks, man. I was thinking the Ducks, he's big. He's really good friends with uh, McTavish, so it's kind of be like that Kane uh, to Brinkat situation, but a little younger. Thought it would be exciting to watch him there. Even CBJ, I, they have more exciting I want, players. I wanted, I wanted him in Columbus because... Yeah, CBJ, that would have been a great fit for him. He, got, he would get to play with good players. Uh, it's kind of a bump in market now. They're actually like, they have fans that come out. They're pretty solid and... Uh, you know what I wanted, a- though? You know, this is so weird because, you know, um, their GM, Kekalainen, right? He's always, like, drafted off the board, too, right? So I wanted to see Columbus have the first pick to see if he, like, wouldn't just go off the board and not take Bedard. Like, basically. Man, Bedard could be playing on a line with Line right now. Like, think about that. Or Goudreau. Or Goudreau, or both. Like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But unfortunately... Instead, he's playing with Donato and Taylor Hall sometimes. Well, yeah, Taylor Hall is, again, week to week because he aggravated his shoulder injury. Well, so that he, happens when you get older, man. Yeah. Like, I know, I understand. You just Things hurt for longer. Yeah. You know, the injuries happen. And you take longer to get healthy. That's how it is. And he was on the third line for Boston last year. Like, like that's just the reality of the situation. And Donato was on the fourth line last year for Seattle. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like literally the worst place Bedard could go. The only cool thing about it is that it's a original six team. That's about it. It's like the, the year after they get rid of Kane and Len Taze is gone, man. It's like Yeah. Because they decided not to do it. And that's that that's that whole thing on basically, you know, oh, we're not telling Patrick Kane he has to leave, but we'll trade away his best friend and show him like no teammates to play with. So that he basically, while on pace to be the highest point getter and born in the U.S., oh, well, you're not going to reach it if you stay here because we don't have anybody, you know, to play with. 
And clearly, Kane, Kane still got the fire burning inside, man. He still wants to go for one more cup, man. So, like, that that's the kind of character, that's the kind of player he is. And he could have, if they had put players around him, you know, um, yeah. you, he would probably would have stuck around. You know, that's a legendary status. He's still a legend in Chicago, but he could have played his whole career with one jersey, man. But now it's, now it's going to end up being three, which is kind of unfortunate. Minimally three. We'll see. Yeah. It might be more. We won't be diving too deep into Chicago very often. And San Jose, probably even less so. 3-1 home loss to Boston. 5-1 road loss to Nashville. 3-1 road loss in Florida. They have yet to win a game in regulation. One point in six games played, which they are the only team, I think, in the whole National Hockey League right now without uh, a regulation win. Like, they are the worst team in the NHL. Yeah. That sounds about right. The sharks that have no bite, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought of that on the spot. Don't act like you're not impressed. <laughs> I am impressed. No bite, bro. Okay, so in the 5-1 road loss to Nashville, that powerhouse cup contending team, Nashville, we remind you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Getting Richard pumped Hort. by the Predators. Yeah. So... The Predators, apparently in the third period, ran over Blackwell, or at least um, Thomas Hurdle, who regrets signing long-term in San Jose two years ago or whenever it was that he re-upped. Because he, like, he's getting paid. He's getting paid like Forsberg money. He's on getting paid team. well, dude, yeah. yeah. But he wants yeah. to give some of that money back and go somewhere else. Everything went south when they make the, the move to get Carlson and then he doesn't work with Burns but you don't keep Burns who should have been a shark for life. And then you take Pavelski and you move on from him. And then they, their most dynamic player moves on as well. Cause they're not going to re up Timo Meyer. Like it's just a chain of events to this team. That was once absolute shit show, like, you know, one bad decision after another bad decision, after another bad decision. And to them based- that's why they're so bad. And then basically, then they have to move on from Carlson again because, well, I was thinking back about Carlson. It's really, even when I, and and he was really doing well in Ottawa. And I was thinking back to this. I'm like, when was that time when Carlson was like, like a better Roman Yossi than Roman Yossi? And I was like, Mark Mathot. I was like, that's the guy he was paired with, I'm pretty sure, in yep. Ottawa. And Nobody remembers Mark Mathot, but you need that guy. You need like that Essa Lindell, that, you know, stay-at-home defenseman that basically allows your roving guy like Carlson to basically be his best. And if you don't have that in place, that player costs you as much as you gain. It's like, so Yossi's best years were when Ryan Ellis was in Nashville as well where there, there was like a compliment of a player that basically, you know, was really good defensively to basically cover all that other stuff up. And Mathot did that for Carlson. I don't think Pittsburgh has that. San Jose absolutely didn't have it. And that's where that value's lost. But, I mean, maybe one day we'll do a podcast about unsung defensive defensemen like, you know, Nick Yalmerson, guys that basically, you know, played with other star players but got no credit, but your shot blockers. 
defensive defensemen that you got to have on your team to win. Yeah, they're critical, man. Look how Colorado set up their defense. They literally have one on every line. There's like a guy that compliments the other guy. One puck mover, one guy that's going to be able to, you know, do damage net front in the defensive zone, but still has the ability to skate. You're right. Like, you know, Devon Taves allowing Kale McCarr to be Kale McCarr. It's you know, a proven Bowen, formula for success, man. It's been Bowen Byram. Bowen Byram gets paired with Josh Manson. Same yeah. idea. And you know, it was it was uh Gerard with Eric Johnson. Now it's Jack Johnson, but half a dozen of this or the other, right? You know, the cup winning team all, that really all was, the Johnsons, man. All the Johnsons. San Jose's bad. Blackwood. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the punchline to everything. We went now went on a tangent about the solid defensemen besides the superstars. And yeah. where'd we, we went off a tangent about Chicago for a while. And just it's easier to go in different places because nobody wants to talk about the Sharks because they're bad. Yeah. They're not fun to watch play hockey. Yeah. So you can lock them down. There's your, if they can win the lottery, first overall pick. If you're one of the I top mean, five players in that lottery, you're going to be like, fuck it. The only good thing is it's in San Jose. At least it's in San Jose. They have good weather there. The climate's all right. Right. Yeah. They got like, nobody to play with. Nobody to play with. So, and I don't know if it's like what five, six, how many years Hurdle got left on the steal? Like, and it's top dollar. Like, how do you move that? They and the owner doesn't want to, the owner doesn't want them retaining money. That's why they got so little back for Carlson because they wouldn't need any salary. So basically, they had one suitor that's like, okay, here's the garbage we don't want. You have to take it. And we won't, we won't take, we'll, we'll take on salary. That's how that deal gets done. And I just don't know. Like, you look at it. Like, I just look at that roster and just go, I don't know why you keep Thomas Hurdle. And makes no sense. But then you look at teams that will want to bring on that as a, like, a second line center on a cup contending team. You don't think Thomas Hurdle was somebody targeted maybe by Colorado instead of Ryan Johansson? But why is Johansson there? Because four million stayed in Nashville. I bet you San Jose isn't holding on to four million of hurdles, but if you price point them there, there's tons of teams that would pick them up. Tons, you know. Why are, can they not eat some contract and then trade them or what? Yeah, I don't know what the reasoning, but it's ownership. It's not even like it's not the GM deciding this. It's ownership doesn't want to basically have players' salaries on the books, like basically. No buyouts, no, no retention, which in this NHL makes players hard to move. That's a pretty hard sell to your fans, too. We literally don't have any players to put on the poster, man. You know what I mean? You trade Hurdle for some picks. You got nobody. Who are you putting on there? Zadina? Oh, Granlin. They got to put Granlin on the poster. Like, think, think of the, like, most nondescript NHL player that, you know, played top six, but really never does a whole heck of a lot of nothing. Um, his entire time in Nashville, his entire time. Anthony Duclair gets promoted. He is now even Duclair, the star, I the think, star I, child of the San Jose Sharks. You he know? probably would be like the most, like at least he's got some speed. I don't know. Like yo, Granlin's only played one game, eh? So I guess he's oh, he's injured. Well, I guess he's Let's living see. up to his nickname, Granny. Because apparently, yeah, he's, he's injured. Lower body week to week. That's oh, Logan that's, Couture injured reserve. But, so there, there's a, a couple guys, right? A couple pieces. But there, there's a whole thing though. That's my point with Granlin. 
like no matter where Granlin played and he's playing like least top nine, wherever he played his whole career. And even when he went to Pittsburgh, he's never a guy that's going to be on a poster. He's not selling tickets. He's probably the most nondescript guy that played how many games in the NHL. Like he's got to be over 500 in his career now. Like think of more obscure guys in the national hockey league, like Mikhail Granlin. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, to me, that would be a riot. We're going to try and sell tickets with Mikhail Granlin as our poster boy. That's my pick. <laughs> That's and my then he pick. only plays like 40 games in the season. Or yeah. That's basically Pittsburgh made a bad deal with Nashville at the deadline to pick him up. Didn't work out. And not even next season, they were just like shipping him out. They are just like, hey, you got to take Granlin as part of this deal or no deal. That's how it went down. Uh, any final words, Warren? Heritage Classic is one game to make note of this week. I was going to try and end the show actually saying, okay, here's some games before we meet next week that are big games. LA and Arizona are are doing a back, are like a home and home. So I thought that was worth noting because I'm, I'm wanting to see how Arizona responds after the loss in LA. Then actually Bedard will take on Logan Cooley before we meet up again. So we've got that one. Wheeler's return to Winnipeg is next Monday. I didn't even realize that. That's beautiful. All righty. We should wrap up this episode of Sharpshooters, and we will be back with you next week. Actually planning to be a couple days later next week just because of the schedule. We're going to go, I think, with a uh, closer to the weekend drop than Thursday, just when I looked at the schedule for next week. But we're going to be back every week and bringing the best about the NHL's Western Conference. Tell your friends about the show. Hit the like button. Don't be a logo hunter. Be a sharpshooter.